What's up, everybody, and welcome to Anime Baby, where love always wins. This is your not-as-perfect-as-you-think host, Mikey, and joined with me, as always, is... The grinning, hopeless romantic, Ryan. And welcome back to our regularly scheduled covering a uh, different anime each month format. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Summer of Heroes has come and gone, and what a summer it was. It really was. It was, uh, it was a hard one to come off of. It was. Well, it's like, I was feeling residual... Uh, energy from that month because I had to like get back into my uh, regular reading schedule with My Hero Academia and, I, and through that whole time that whole summer I was reading day to day when usually I wait for I'd read regular One Piece chapters and then I build up My Hero chapters and then when One Piece is on break I binge My Hero <laughs> <laughs> but oh it's been hard coming off of that for me but I did leave off on a part where the manga is switching back over to uh the main story perspective, so I got off at a pretty good time, so I'm feeling pretty happy about that. I feel like the my, my, my obsessive-compulsive disorder has kind of uh, <laughs> put everything back into place, and One Piece is really juicy lately. I cannot stress enough how much shit has gone down recently in One Piece. I've heard there was like one specific chapter that everyone was talking about. and like Big news! And apparently it got leaked early and everyone was just all like, no, no, spoilers, oh my god. Very spoiler heavy, <laughs> that that chapter. Big news, that's what it was called. Okay. Oh god, uh, avoid it like the plague if oh, you don't definitely. want a major spoiler. God, I gotta, I gotta do a binge uh, myself on One Piece one of these days. Oh boy. But... We're going back to the basics here, and I think after four months of talking about nothing but My Hero Academia, I feel it's uh, time for a change of pace. And also uh, time for a change of setting, because as you can possibly hear, uh, the sound might be a little bit different to you who have like very uh, you know, keen ears, as, as we are recording in a new location here. Yes, we are recording in my very first apartment. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, we finally got a studio. We stu Fuck that, this is an efficiency apartment. This <laughs> ain't a studio. <laughs> Studios are at least like 300 by 300. This is fucking 200 by 200. <laughs> it's a broom closet. <laughs> it practically is. Yeah. No offense though, I like it. Yeah, don't worry. It's only for like a year until we consider like moving in with each other. <laughs> yeah, we got the fan going on. We might hear like, mm, three cop cars go by tonight. Yeah. <laughs> a... I'm in Minneapolis now. It's downtown. <laughs> Yeah, downtown Minneapolis, so... Yeah, we're just testing out this new location, seeing how it will uh, do here and here. Although, uh, who knows, we might consider a new location, because there's 
plenty of spots nearby and uh, plenty of other spaces that we might be able to uh, take advantage of, uh, kind of off off the grid, you could say. Yeah, so like uh, from time to time, the sound could possibly change and that could be why we're switching locations up. You know, we might do one here, we might do one at a, another place entirely, we might do one at my place, or like we might find a separate, you know, neutral location to do a podcast, you know, whichever. I get the feeling we might be in a period of experimentation here. Oh yeah, definitely. So just look out for that, dear listeners. Also, uh, speaking of like uh, experimentation and also like uh, some new new changes around here is that uh, while it won't come up on the uh, audio per se, but uh, we are recording this, uh, the audio here on my brand new Microsoft Surface Pro that I got as a surprise birthday gift from my mother. My goodness, and it is very shiny, might I say. Very, very nice, and not like that piece of crap Asus laptop that I've had since 2011. (laughs) (laughs) That was like on its last legs and almost dying. I don't know about you, but my my Alienware has been pretty reliable all this time, so... uh... I don't know. I'd say mine as uh, still has still has yours beat. Yeah. Then again, you probably didn't splurge like <laughs> four digits on it. No. <laughs> I know. I'm a dumbass for that. <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> I've rightly gotten shit from old college friends for that. <laughs> <laughs> old college friends that built their own PCs. Like I expected it. Like okay, guys, I understand. Give it to me. Yeah. So like with this new. Uh... New uh, tablet slash uh, PC here. I'll definitely make uh, recording episodes a lot more easier and also definitely make editing them a lot more easier because uh, this won't drop out internet when I'm trying to upload the podcast or slow down and freeze anytime I'm trying to edit because they can't handle two hours of audio. Fuck, man. You were you, you were editing this on a potato, this podcast on a potato before. God, worse than a potato. <laughs> oh, God. Congrats to the new tech, though. Yes, thank you very much. So for this episode, uh, with everything that's been going on, I want to want to take things a little nice and easy, a little easy breezy. So we're going to take a look at a nice anime away from all the shonen action and United States of Smashes. This episode, we're going to be talking all about the anime I listed as my top favorite anime of 2018 back in that old podcast from back in January. I'm talking, of course, about Bloom Into You. But first, a little bit of the background... Bloom Into You is based on a manga of the same name written and illustrated by Nio Nakatani, which began in April of 2015 in a monthly manga magazine called Dengeki Daio. It's been going strong to this very day, though uh, depending on when this episode is uploaded, the uh, manga could have come to an end already. As back in July, it was announced that the manga was reaching its end and that it would be completed within three chapters, so barring any setback, that should be done by the end of September, which is, hey, perfect timing on our part. We'll see. I've heard many mangas lately say that they're going to end, but they still take for fucking ever to end. Now, but for this, they said, like, yes, this is done in three chapters. Yeah, because I think Kobayashi Dragon Maid said it was going to end a while ago, and it's still going. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm certain this one is definitely, like, almost done. Okay, okay, so that's good to know. And the manga has been licensed for release here in North America by Seven Seas Entertainment beginning in January 2017. Currently six volumes have been released, with the seventh coming this December. As for the anime, it's produced by Studio Troika, directed by Makoto Kato, and written by Juki Hanada. While the studio and director don't have much as far as credits go, Juki Hanada has plenty, and I mean plenty, of credits. What were some of his credits? Here's a sample size. Chobits. Oof. K-On, Nichijo, <laughs> Princess Jellyfish, mm. Freaking Steinsgate, mm. and all of Love Live's School Idol Project. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. And many, many more. This is only like 
scratching the surface of their works. Okay, holy crap. That's actually pretty impressive. Yeah, just all of that written by this one person. Oh, God. And adapting all those, like, series that, that are based off manga and everything. God damn, hard worker. Yeah. So this anime aired from October 2018 to December of 2018, and on the English dub side of things, it was licensed by Sentai Filmworks and released as a dubcast, which is their trademark term for simuldub, on their high dive streaming service. How about that? We're looking at a Sentai Filmworks dubbed anime. Hmm, very nice. Very nice. And I would say definitely like one of the uh, better uh, Sentai Filmworks dubs, but uh, then again, they've been like on very much on the upswing as far as their dub goes as part as part of the uh, last few years or so. Yeah, I've been saying their dubs have been pretty good as of late. Like, I can't, I can't safely say I've seen one that's like, you know, terribly bad. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen some stinkers, but those were like back in the, the dark days of like Sentai, you know, back when they had a certain Mr. Stephen Foster directing nearly all of their, all of their shows. Oh god, yeah. Mr. Less said about High him, School the, the Dead and Ghost Stories doing like all of their shows. Oh god, less said about him the better. <laughs> yeah. Thank god he's gone. Yeah, he's gone. He's off to different he's off to different horizons. Yes. So this stuff is directed by David Wald of Mr. Tonagawa fame. <laughs> David Wald. Yep. Mr. Announcer from Mr. Tonegawa. Yep, and uh, our steely boy Tetsu Tetsu from My Hero Academia. <laughs> oh my god, David Wald, yes. I'm so glad you're on this, man. Why couldn't you narrate this? <laughs> <laughs> he just needs to narrate life in general. He really does. Like, I, I've, if nobody out there has seen it, go watch Middle Manager Mr. Tonegawa. Oh my god, David Wald has so much fun in that as the narrator. He just does not give a shit. You have to listen to it. I just want him to follow me around in my everyday life and just say what I'm doing. He's like, ah, oh, yes, Mikey here. He is going to the bathroom. He is using the toilet. Then he is going to brush his teeth. And then, little does he know, he forgot his he forgot to buy his mouthwash at Target. Oh, the horror! What are you gonna do, young Mikey? <laughs> I mean, I would love that. Oh God, yes, he needs to narrate more. <laughs> and the script here is written by Marissa Lenti. With this show here, it's uh, it goes without saying that this is a Yuri anime, so it's part of the uh, LGBTQ plus uh, community, or as uh, AJ Styles would put it, the gay community. Right, right. And uh, we actually have uh, two people from uh, the LGBT community actually doing this. As uh, David Wald, he is a gay man, He is as he is directing. And uh, Marissa Lenti, she is, has said she is uh, asexual. Oh, how nice. Yeah, so like two people from the community actually working on this show. And it's like, ah, oh, that's so awesome. It's one of those things that only feels appropriate, you know? Yeah. It's like this, if like they didn't have like anybody like that on the show, it'd be kind of, it just feel it just wouldn't feel right also i'm pretty sure david wall does a lot of the uh queer anime for uh sentai filmworks like he directs a lot of their dubs for like any like queer anime they license it's like if you found out that cannon busters with cannon busters was made with absolutely no black people whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> like if you found out no african americans whatsoever worked on that y you would feel kind of weird like we missing something a little bit here yeah a certain like perspective you know we need something who kind of like knows what they're talking about with a show like this right like it just it's one of the, it's it just feels more right that way yeah with all that out of the way we're talking about bloom into you so without further ado let's start the show i 
So first things first, we talk about the opening and the ending. The opening is Kimi no Furete, uh, recorded here by Riku Azuna, as uh, the song marked her official uh, debut in the music world. And the ending is Hecto Pascal by Yuki Takada and Minako Kotobuki. Uh, the singers for this song have a lot more experience than the uh, singer for the opening, as uh, Yuki Takada was the seiyu for Alma in Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid, the uh, Japanese version, and Minako Kotsubuki was the seiyu for Sumugi Kotsubuki in Kaon. Yeah, so uh, what do you think of the uh, OP and ending here? Uh, as far as the OP goes, and you're going to be hearing me say this a lot during the during the uh, podcast, but uh, it, I thought it was fine. I thought it was uh, quite fine. Um, you know, uses the flower and Im- flower imagery uh, quite fine enough. Some imagery that we will see mm-hmm. later in the series, as certain things take on certain symbols. But you know, it highlights the two main characters fine enough. It's very pretty. It's very um, you know, it's 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 basically like a ballad that they're kind of playing here. But it highlights the uh, relationship between these two main characters quite well. Yeah, one thing I really like about the opening is like one shot that I didn't really notice on my first viewing that, but I did notice for when I was watching this for the podcast is like, you know, the bit where they hold up like say the mirrors covering their faces and then you see the flowers on them. If you look closely, you can see in the reflection behind the flowers is the uh, the other person that uh, one of the other main characters. Oh, it's I didn't kind of notice like a that. nice little detail that, you know, they're kind of reflecting themselves onto that person or something. Oh, how quite nice. Yeah. And as for the ending, like, uh, I kind of dig it, but it's it feels a little too beep-bop-boopy. Yeah, it, it does It kind of reminds you a bit of the, uh, you know, the opening to uh, uh, Kingdom Hearts 0.2, you know, the kind of like a dubstepy remix of uh, Simple and Clean. Mm, you know, the beep-boop, yeah. beep-bop-boop, beep yeah, it, fe- it feels kind of it feels a little out of place. Yeah, but for here, I, I dig it here. Yeah, but it also falls into the problem of like some like uh, it also falls into the problem of uh, what we said about one of the endings of My Hero, and that like it can feel a little inappropriate on some episodes yeah. where it gets too heavy, mm-hmm. and then it's like, oh come on, we should not be feeling this peppy after a pretty <laughs> heavy moment like that. Yeah, know? but on its own, it's good. It's serviceable, I would say. It's serviceable. So let's get into the show. With episode one, I Can't Reach the Star. Kick off with the introduction to Yu Koito, played here by Tia Ballard, hashtag your Tia, a young girl who's a fan of all things lovey-dovey. She reads a lot of shoujo manga, and she listens to a bunch of love songs. But while she's in love with the concept, she feels it's something that's unattainable for her. Initial impressions on you here? Hmm, initial impressions on you. Um, quite a few expectations... Uh, quite a few um, questions, I suppose. Like, a little bit of an enigma, I would say. Like, mm-hmm. I, I was trying to figure out... Because this is what was kind of tough going into Bloom Into You for me, was trying to figure out the uh, angle to approach it from, I suppose. And maybe this just shows that I've been out of, like, the romance <laughs> game, as far as anime goes, for a while now. The romance genre. And definitely the Yuri genre. Yeah. <laughs> because I can say right now... I. Cannot remember the last Yuri I ever watched. <laughs> but, like, I was just... But, like, as far as first impressions go, seems pretty sweet. Seems a little demure. Yeah. Um, very unsure of herself. Oh, yeah, that's more of a I thing. was... I was... I want. I kind of wanted to. I was. I was interested to try and figure out the uh, enigma of this girl a little bit. Yeah, like, that's one of her big things, that she's... She's very, like, well-meaning. She wants to help whenever she can, but she's also very indecisive. She doesn't know what she wants. She sounds like she's missing something. Yeah, and, like... As we go on, I can kind of say that I find her to be very relatable in some ways. Hmm, okay, relatable. That's a good trait to have as well. I would say so as well. So, high school is beginning for you, and she's still undecided about joining one of the school clubs. 
She gets some club ideas from her friends Akari Hyuga, played here by Amberly Connors, and Kiyomi Kano, played here by Brittany Karbaski, but nothing seems to work, nothing is clicking. But then it's suggested by a teacher that you should join the student council. They're desperately in need of members, and the teacher was able to persuade you into at least sitting in on a meeting. It's like, hey, student council would be a nice gig, especially since in Japan, they practically run the schools there. You know, it's not like here in the States where it's more of a glorified title. Yeah, they have way too much power and foresight over there in Japan. It makes me kind of... Actually, it makes me kind of glad we don't have that system over in, <laughs> over in the U.S. because I could totally see American teenagers abusing that. Yeah. <laughs> but like here, like, our student councils in, like, our high schools are, like, pretty forgettable. Like, I don't even remember who ran our student council back when we were in high school. Fuck if I know. I don't remember. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I might have heard it because, like, I did the yearbook the final year and, like, even then I didn't know who the fuck ran our school. We, we probably could have dug up our old yearbooks and figured that out, but... Yeah. <laughs> There's no time. No time and it's not like we would even read their names on the air. Like, what are we, assholes? <laughs> <laughs> Later on, you head to the student council office, which is in a fairly old, small building behind the school, which is kind of neat in all honesty. You know, a nice little quiet space in a wooded area away from the hustle and bustle of the school. Looks like a fucking garden shed. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> Do they not have a budget? Uh, you know, just like, I think they did say it was like an old art building and, you know, just like, hey... They're not using it. Why don't we use it? Yeah, don't worry. Just move the fertilizer over a little <laughs> bit. Like, you can sit over here. You can put the table over here. Watch out for the ammonia sitting in the corner there. Make sure it's uh, covered. Yeah, exactly. We didn't tear the asbestos out or anything, so just try not to breathe too hard. Make sure you set mouse traps every night. You know, those suckers kind of get a little everywhere. And remember, know the difference between coral snakes and king snakes. <laughs> <laughs> and also, one more thing. Leaves of three, let it be. Mmm, good advice for this boondock little <laughs> shed of a place <laughs> while on her way she spots a boy confessing his love to a girl said girl though is flattered but she turns him down gently saying she doesn't see herself as someone who would fall in love introducing toko nanami played here by lucy christian who is part of the student council thoughts on toko here mm, toko hmm what did i think of her initially uh well very in command of her life for one thing Able to turn a guy down uh, pretty promptly, I suppose. Someone who has it all together upon first glance. Yes, that uh, that turn down skill is pretty strong of hers. Yeah, she knows how to like just say, sorry, not interested. And the guy was like, you know what? That's fair. Perfect. From the outside. Yes. As we continue on into the series, I feel that Toko was quite possibly the most fascinating character in the series and quite possibly the catalyst for most of, the, of what goes on in Blue Into You. Well, I would expect so, given that she's one of the main characters. <laughs> yeah, but like, on a bigger scale. <laughs> Well, we'll debate that later. Mm. It would appear that Yu has taken a shine to Toko as she seems to have been impressed by how she turned down that love confession. The reason being, we find out, is that at the end of junior high, Yu received a love confession from a boy in her class. And even though she loves love and the thought of someone confessing their feelings to her was something that she had hoped for, in the end, Yu felt nothing. She thought it would be this big moment in her life, but instead, nothing. Like, she was so taken aback by this that she didn't give the boy an answer on how she felt and has been leaving him hanging to mull this over to think about what to do. Accept his confession, don't accept. If you do accept, how, if you don't accept, how do you turn him down? It's just all kind of tough how to deal with this situation here. It's not how she would expect it in, like, say, a regular shoujo manga. Mm -hmm. And also dealing with this idea of love and relationships during your teenage years is already tough enough to begin with. And there's already, like, thousands of hormones running yeah, around like all that, over the place. Yeah, that's half your problem right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
While Yu observes the student council meeting, we find out that the only other members thus far are Toko and a classmate and friend of hers, uh, Saika Seiki, played here by Shania Moore. Through Saika, we discover that ever since Toko entered high school, she's turned down about 10 guys and even a few girls as well. And even though she rejected them all, they never felt bad about it in the end. Togo is the master of the old saying, it's not you, it's me. Sure, it's cliche, but hey, she has a way of saying it to make it all good. And also, there's some uh, truth to that, as when you ask Toko about it, she simply says that she never had anyone made her heart flutter, so to say. Hmm, okay. The following day, you and Toko are the only ones in the student council room, and you decides to tell Toko about her dilemma. She feels that Toko is the only one who can help and understand her. Toko assures her that her not feeling love is perfectly fine, and you shouldn't force yourself to love anyone. She even brings up how it can be difficult because how society in general as a whole portrays love as the be-all end-all. And I know this series is about positive portrayals of lesbian relationships, but I feel you can also look at this as a positive portrayal of asexuality. Because like, I can totally see someone who is ace and they can find you a very relatable character. Well, I figured initially the series was going to go with that angle full hard. Yeah, you know? at first, you know. At first. <laughs> As we see, it kind of went in a different direction. Yeah, but still, like, that idea of, like, you know, can you love, like, what is wrong with me, you know? Like, you can think that you're not an actual person, you know? It's like, you can totally, like, look at you and say, like, hey, I felt the same way. Well, we'll dig, we'll dig into that further in just a little bit. Oh, yeah. And also, by the way, I should mention that there's actually a great Crunchyroll article all about uh, discussing the topic. I recommend uh, checking that out. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. But, you know, in the end, this just goes to show that Bloom and T.U. is really good at being queer positive all around. You know, covering all their bases. So Yu gets a call from the boy who confessed their love to her, and she promised to give him a response by that day, and with Toko by her side, she is able to muster up the courage to turn down the boy's confession. Is that him? It's okay. Listen to me, Yu. You're allowed to be honest and tell him how you feel. The same way he told you how he felt. You're fine. Exactly the way that you are. Hello? And all these books I read, and all these songs I hear, there's something so blindingly radiant. can't reach it. Can't touch it. I don't need a dictionary to know what that little word really means. Or that it's way too big a word for me. I'm sorry! Thank you. <sighs> and thank you. I mean it. believe that worked. If you weren't here with me, I definitely couldn't have told him how I felt. You. I wasn't the one whose hands were shaking and whose palms were a bit sweaty. You said you never felt the fireworks, didn't you? Uh, I did. That no one had ever made you feel that way? Yeah, I... I just... never...
did you do? Aren't you the same as I am? Maybe not. Because I... Because I think I'm finally feeling it now. I don't understand. The words that she's saying to me. I don't understand at all. Thoughts on the scene of you rejecting a love confession only to receive a potential new one from an unexpected source? Uh, she, she, she's very lucky, lucky it went that well. Yeah. <laughs> because breakups that I've heard about have never gone that smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> one person almost always gets, like, left pretty emotionally wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, some... I don't know, like, sometimes I'm, I would like to see some work that kind of approaches it from a very, um... From an uglier, but, like, still very, like, caring and understanding angle, because uh, I've known people that have kind of had to be cushioned down way, like, way, like, better than, like, after, like, being rejected, you know? Yeah, but... Uh, like, 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 they, like, they fell, broke their leg, and then had to be, ha had to get help from the person they were turned down by to reset their leg, mm -hmm. and then afterwards, they were fine. But uh, I'll, I'll say she's very lucky here. Yeah, like this guy, he was just all like, thank you. Like, I'm pretty sure the guy was just all like, oh my god, she finally gave me an answer. I can move on with my life. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, he was like, he just like, it was like he just sent a text that just asked, do you like me? Yes or no? No. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. I never have to look at her face ever again. <laughs> I don't have to be waiting anymore. I don't have to be waiting. And we'll just, we'll just never talk ever again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the best he could have hoped for, Yes, yeah. to avoid awkwardness. But in doing so with this, after turning this guy down, Yua seemed to have uh, caught the interest of someone else, that being Toko, because Toko kind of looks at her and says, like, wait, you're kind of just like me, and she finds that very interesting and can almost get in an uh, attraction sort of way. And, like, you know, then that's where the series kind of really starts right up there, you know, where Toko is starting to, like, kind of see you as someone that she can, that can make her heart flutter in a way. Mm. You know, someone that has never done that before. Basically, it just starts crushing on her. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although, that's 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 where I kind of figured the, the series lost out on a chance to explore the asexuality angle a little bit more, though. Because uh, it does kind of, um, I don't know, like, can, can it be argued that it still, like, adheres to that throughout the series? Or, like, do they just, like, go in the opposite direction? I would say it adheres to uh, the idea of asexuality, but through a different perspective. I guess you could say, I yeah, guess. Like, like, not through you, but through, like, say, another character. I still feel like that's something that could have been, like, there, like, as the core of the story, though. Yeah, like, they thing. could have, like, built it up a bit more and then, like, switched it over to the Yuri romance. Right, right. Or at least just kept it as that and just explored an asexual relationship. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that would have been nice as well, but, um, you know, that, that gets into my... That, that just goes more into, like, my wider um, opinions on the series, I suppose. So on to episode two, heating up an application for first love. Toko backs off for now and shifts focus to the student council elections as she wants you to be her campaign manager. You doesn't feel qualified and thinks Saika would be better. Speaking of which, Saika is upset about not being Toko's campaign manager. She and Toko have been friends for so long, and she felt that because of that relationship they built up, she would be perfect to campaign for her. But, uh, you know, there's already a, since there's already that strong relationship between them, Toko wants to start fresh with, like, another relationship, that being with you. 
It's also a way to uh, build up trust within the student body, as, you know, if they see her forming this uh, connection and friendship with a first-year student, it could set up her forming more connections with other, with the rest of the first years. You know, they'll say, like, hey, she's good friends with that first year. I'm a first year, too. Maybe she can be good for someone like me. That's a sound strategy. Yeah. Because Toko wants to build a trusting relationship with you, this make, seems to make uh, Sayaka here a tad jelly, as it would seem. But uh, then she offers her a position as vice president if she wins, so all is good there for now. After some persuasion from Toko, and now Sayaka, Yu finally agrees to be Toko's campaign manager, but she still can't, doesn't get why Toko would show any interest in someone like her, and then brings up what happened the other day. This leads to Toko fully confessing her love to Yu and then stealing a kiss, though she seems to slightly regret it. Uh, this kiss scene here, like, you know, under the guise of a passerby train, you know, covering up them from uh, eyes of uh, the public, you know, what do you think of this uh, first kiss between the two of them? concerning for how it might like go <laughs> because if the person kissing you is waiting for nobody else to like see you that might have some like concern that might raise some some, some concerns i would say yeah <laughs> but at the very least toko does show regret of that saying like she shouldn't have done that she should have asked for the, the scene is rightfully rendered as being incredibly bittersweet mm -hmm. yeah but the the series knows that yeah yeah it's it has enough tact to know that it has to be like bittersweet yeah, because, you know, in the next day, Toko apologizes for the kiss, and I do really appreciate that. Because, you know, in reality, doing something like that, you know, stealing a kiss from someone that wasn't expecting it is kind of no good. I think, in, I think in the U.S. it would get you arrested. Yeah. <laughs> so be very lucky. These two are very lucky they're both on the same level here. Yeah, but, you know, Toko says she's sorry and that it was wrong for her to act on impulse, and I'm like, hey, good on you for recognizing that. Right, at least you apologized. You know, you can like someone, but remember, consent is still a thing. Mm-hmm. Though Yu seems to be not bothered by Toko kissing her, but she's more bothered by just not feeling anything. So she's all like, I kind of like that, but it didn't really feel much of anything. Like, she's just missing a little something. You might need to try it a few more times to really get the hang of it. Yeah, you know, just maybe behind the gym, you know, maybe try a little bit more other way, so to say, you know, just like, you know, trial and error. We'll experiment. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try tongue this time. <laughs> no, mm. We'll hold that thought for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so Toko goes on the campaign trail and Yu helps her, but she's still feeling a little conflicted. She thought she was the same as Toko when it comes to not falling in love, but since Toko has fallen for her, she feels she can't be on the same level as her. Doubly tough as around this time you starting to question her own sexuality, like, uh, I never thought I could like girls, I thought I only liked guys, what, what's going on, you know? Especially in Japan, because, like, you know, that society is kind of pretty homophobic, you know, they try to, like, push just straight relationships all the time. Yeah, that's gonna be a big point I'll get into later. <laughs> so yeah, like, not only is, like, you dealing with, like, her own sexuality, she's dealing with her own sexuality in Japan, where, like, that thing's kind of, uh, a bit more taboo than it is here. Right. Yu decides that it would be best to say that she just isn't interested in Toko, but Toko kind of beats her to the punch as she understands how she must be feeling about this. Toko respects Yu's feelings and doesn't force herself on her. However, she does say that she'll still be in love with her and it's fine if Yu doesn't reciprocate. Though Yu says that's kind of unfair. Mm, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> on to episode 3, still up in the air and the one who likes me. Despite all the conflicting feelings of love, Yu and Toko remain friends and they still walk home together. And we even get some uh, cute moments of Toko being shy and awkward around Yu. Like, you know, you have Toko asking to, like, stop by a bookstore on the way towards Yu's house because she's going on a trip and she needs to get some books. But then she realizes, oh, this bookstore is connected to Yu's family's house because, like, they run the bookstore. 
Like, oh my god, you're running my favorite bookstore. <laughs> and then I like the little moment afterwards where you, like, you meet you, Sister Ray, played uh, also by Marissa Lenti. And she asked her about uh, bringing a friend home, and she's all like, oh, was that your boyfriend? And then she's all like, no, it's a girl, her name is Toko. And she's all like, oh, your girlfriend then? Uh... Like, yeah, you're a good sis. <laughs> and we get some, uh, a really cute scene, like, uh, afterwards where, like, Toko comes back after her trip, and she's just waiting outside Yu's place, waiting for her to come out, and then Yu sees her, and then Toko is just all like, oh, you know, I was just in the neighborhood, you know, just wanted to do some window shopping, and then Yu's all like, you were just here the other day. <laughs> and then Toko is... She's way too obvious. Come on. Also, Toko has gone to the trouble of, like, dressing up. Coming on too obviously. And then, and then again, she's not been in the game for how long, I no. suppose. Like, ever. She's never been in the game. She's turned down everyone who's asked her out. Precisely. So she doesn't have the experience. And then Toko admits that she came by to give uh, you a souvenir while she was on her trip. And then she asked why she didn't wait to give it to her at school. And then Toko just gets all embarrassed and flustered by that. <laughs> and then we get like a nice a little back and forth between the two. Where Yu's all like, Toko, just exactly how much do you like me? And then Toko's all like, what are you talking about? I like you a lot. And it's just, I, I do like this. And I do enjoy how Yu gets in some uh, playful teasing on Toko. She's like, okay, I know you like me, so I'm going to have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah, that's what made watching this series coming off of My Hero, like, a bit of a hard watch, because I had to, like, really, like, take as much as I could from the small moments, because, you know, slice of life. Mm -hmm. Th that's what made this a very hard watch for me, because I was like, it's like I'm still coming down from the adrenaline. I'm still coming down from the adrenaline, and I was just, I was, like, really having to, s switching gears for the series was, like, one of the hardest I've had to for an anime. <laughs> Plus, we haven't done, like, a Slice of Life series since Miss Kobayashi, and that was, like, in April. But that one still had dragons. That also and, had like, action in it. And way more, like, comedy humor than, like, um, than Bloomin' to You as well. So, in a way, this is actually kind of her first real Slice of Life. Yeah, I would definitely say. Yeah. Absolutely. I wouldn't count Monster Girls, because that still had Monster Girls in it. Right, right. I had to, like, really, like, switch my brain into, like, oh, cute little relationships. How nice. So we see that Toko got you a really nice looking star projection nightlight. And you does like the gift, though she still wonders why Toko would still be interested in her. But, uh, you know, why are you still interested in me when there's plenty of other stars in the sky as she looks at her little night night? And I'm just thinking, like, man, you is like the embodiment of, like, that one love confession reaction meme where, like, someone says they love you and the response is, that's a mistake, really. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> it's like the, what if we blank? Like, what if we blank? Haha, <laughs> just kidding. But, what if, or... But maybe. <laughs> That's this whole series in kind of a nutshell. Basically. Something of note during these uh, few scenes, like, uh, we see another side of uh, Toko in this episode as uh, she comes off as not being quite cool-headed and mature, the mature girl as she comes off as. She's a little neurotic and easily embarrassed. Yeah, she's she's a little more flustered. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like uh, dropping the kind of uh, cool, mature girl facade here. Yeah, it flows well from like that, like from that uh, cool girl persona who's kind of got everything together, the responsible one, to now being uh, flustered. Yeah, yeah, it works. And you takes notice of this too. In the following day, while all the student council candidates and their managers are getting ready to give their speeches to the student body, you uh, sees that uh, Toko's being a lot more uh, nervous and uh, decides to take her outside to have a chat about it. They talk, just the two of them, no one else outside, and Toko reveals that she's been putting on this facade of sorts. Like, when she was younger, she was shy, nervous, and just all-around painfully average. Then something happened in her life, we'll find out more about that later, and she decided to change herself. 
She wants to be this perfect, mature, confident girl that everyone can look to. She wants to hide her true personality from the rest of the world and be the person that everyone expects her to be, you know, play up to the expectations of being the cool-headed, mature girl that everyone can rely on. You know, as we're going to see, that is a very dangerous ideal. Yeah, but uh, this scene here, what do you think of this scene? Quite like it. Not too bad. It's quite fine. Yeah, like, it serves, along with, like, other parts of this episode, like, it serves the show, the real side of Toko, because, like, you know, with those first two episodes, we kind of just got this idealized look at her, but now we're kind of, like, seeing... We're seeing her drop her guard a little bit. Yeah, she isn't perfect. She's loaded with all kinds of anxieties. She tries to hide that from the world. You know, you think she has it all together, but she's not. She's just going along with what society expects of her. Mm, right. And this also really gets over the feeling that... For you, even more so than before, she says that you is the only person that can only get to see the side of her. Like, Toko has that much trust in her to, like, show off that she's filled with these anxieties and being neurotic. And you think it would imply that she has, like, nobody else in her life who can, like, give her that cushioning either. Well, Which is kind of a sad implication. Well, when you really think about it, she really doesn't. Mm, no, she doesn't. <laughs> yeah, like, she has friends, but, like, they're kind of not, they kind of don't really... They're not really the kind of friends that you would kind of go to for problems, you know? They kind of still expect to have high expectations of you. Yeah, there is that kind of angle there that's hidden beneath the layers a little bit, I suppose. Also, like, uh, with this whole scene, it, you kind of see that Toko kind of came clean about this uh, fairly easily, so this could mean that she subconsciously wanted you to know anyway, because, you know, since she likes her, she wants to be honest with her and saying, like, okay, this is the real me, what do you think? You do gotta be honest in relationships. Absolutely. And so, later on, Yu gives her speech to the entire student body on behalf of Toko. She starts off by saying how Toko would be perfect as the student council president, and by bringing up how she's a great role model and how she's level-headed. But uh, internally, she knows that she's not like that. She's just kind of just saying what everyone wants her to say. And midway through, Yu goes off script and says that she wants the students to vote for Toko because she wants to join her on the student council and she wants to stay by her side. You know, vote for Toko. I always want to be next to her. Personal there. Your speech got there, but uh, nonetheless. Nonetheless, you know, pretty good. You know, showing personal, like, uh, friendships here, so to say, is just, like, another way to kind of endear Toko to the student body. I was still hoping her for to announce that we were going to get more vending machines in this <laughs> fucking building. Oh, man, we get, like, the entire vending machines filled with, like, friggin' ramen all over the place. I want my fucking coffee in the morning. Mm. Like, this, uh, this student council has to get their shit together. Okay, for the new school semester, we get ten coffee boss machines. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Hells yeah! High fives all around. <laughs> yeah. yeah! You got my vote. And so, Yu's words look to have moved the students, and Toko is elected student council president, and she credits Yu for her being elected. And on to episode 4, the distance between fondness and kisses, and not one of the characters. The previous president's reign of terror has ended, and now begins Toko's reign of terror. Riffic student council presidenting. And she's backed by her cabinet. We already know Saika's her VP, and Yu has made good on her promise of joining since Toko won the election, but we also have other members joining the student council. We have here... Suguru Dojima, played here by Greg Coat, who is a first year who joined on recommendation from the previous president. And then there's Seiji Maki, played here by Clint Bickham, who's been seen in the student council, but has mostly been regulated to the background thus far in these episodes. Hey, don't don't you dare float over Greg Coat here, another Tonegawa <laughs> alumna, alumnus. Oh, I won't, because he is great in this show. <laughs> Not only is he great here, but he's great as Foreman Otsuki in Tonegawa yeah. as well. <laughs> Getting, like, escaping from, like, underground mines that he works in to, like, be a foodie, like, above <laughs> ground. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, because, like, I heard that voice, and I had to, like, go back and, like, where have I heard that before? Like, it kind of, like, ah, right now. Like, <laughs> Otsuki! 
Gonna attempt the uh, giant katsu ball challenge. (laughs) (laughs) But he's really good here. Like, he's, you can tell that he's just having fun being kind of like this cool bro-y kind of dude. Oh yeah, he he feel he, he channels a little bit of that like carefree Otsuki a little bit. You know, he's like palling around with Maki in like some scenes he's like, hey Maki, check it out, we're in a student council with a couple of girls, what do you think, bro? Check. It's pretty sweet. He's probably the one character I related to in, in the show the most. <laughs> Just kind of in the background with stuff. Yeah. Kind of being kept out of the loop of something. He's very much kind of comic relief, but when he does show up, he makes the most of his minutes. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's he's a good boy. Dojo was a good boy. But he's not the main focus for this episode, though, is he? No. First order of business is to get prepared to make sure the students are also prepared for the upcoming school events. We have the sports fest, midterm, summer break, etc. Though the biggest of them all is, like with most high school anime, the culture festival. Ah, that was always so much fun. Why can't American schools be like that? Every single one in anime looks really awesome. Yeah, it's like I've seen stuff in like K-On, Azamanga Dayo, Lucky Star. It's just like, God, it looks so much fun. My Hero had a really good, got a really good one later on. Oh, uh, you'll, you'll yeah. look forward to that one. Oh, yeah. But even that has one, too. And I'm like, why can't why can't we do like big like the, like productions through like a culture festival? You know, here? take a week off from school, just have like all these classes, just do fun little booths and, you know, just... Have fun. Make school fun. Don't make it work all the time. Then again, we're talking about American schools, so I think most of those kids would be totally uninterested. Oh yeah, definitely. They, I think they would rather take a week off than like have take a week where they're having to work with other students on projects, being supervised by teachers, most likely because God knows American the American education system wouldn't trust kids alone to do all this crap. No, but okay. Hear me out. How about we do something like this, but for elementary school students? They'll definitely be more all in on this. They would just be eating glue and, like, playing with scissors and crap. How like, stupid do you think they are? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I, like no, I, like, I, I'm joking, of course. Yeah. But, like, but I'm just saying, like, I don't know if they would have, like, the, uh, the personal drive enough to really, like, do that. They would have to have some kind of supervision still. Yeah, you know, maybe, like, make sure the teachers are all like, hey, kids, let's do something like this try uh, teamwork and all that. Mm, I suppose that could maybe work. Yeah, I feel that they, at least they would be more willing to do so than like high school kids who don't give a fuck. Right, that, that might be more appropriate for elementary schoolers, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the culture fest, working behind the scenes isn't their only job as Toko plans on reviving an old school tradition. That is the student council stage show. You see, their school doesn't have a drama department, so their student council used to put on plays during the culture fest as a way for the art and woodworking clubs to show off their skills in a practical setting. The student council took the role of being actors in the stage show, mostly because no one else would do it, and after that, it just became a yearly tradition. That is, until about seven years ago, when it just stopped out of nowhere. After all this time, Toko vows to revive the tradition. Though others seem unsure about this, but they have enough time to think about it. It's months down the line, you know. We got more things to worry about before we can focus on the uh, culture fest this school year. After the day is done, the other council members head out, but Toko stays behind, and Yu decides to join her. They say it's just to use the computer, but it looks like they have some ulterior motives, Toko especially. She comments about how much of a kind person Yu is, and she's feeling very appreciative for what she did before with the election and generally being accepting towards her true nature. Toko wants another kiss, however, she does the polite thing and asks first. Remember kids, always ask. At least she's working hard, you know, to leave, like, she's learning the courtesies of courtship yeah. here. Yeah, you know, like we said, she's new to all this. Yeah, she, she's get you gotta like you gotta be a little forgiving to her towards her, I suppose. Yeah, see, so, you, know, you know, I know stealing a kiss is like 
seems all kinds of romantic and cute and shit, but you know... You've seen that we, in movies, I understand. Yeah, but you know, those came out decades ago, you know, we live in the modern era. That's 20-fucking-19. This is the weird... This is the real world, we don't do, like, that kind of weird shit. It's like, be real, okay? So when asking for a kiss, he was actually fine with it. She's all like, okay? And then, all things considered, she didn't hate the first kiss, so she's starting to think, huh, you know... Doko is actually kind of bay, in a platonic ways. <laughs> but she's like, well, so yeah, like, yeah, she's like, hmm, I didn't hate that. Yeah. That was perfectly okay. Doko, how you doing? <laughs> As friends, though, you know, just, you know, just putting it out there. You know, friends who kiss for now. Yeah, that's what friends do. Yeah. <laughs> so the two have a nice kiss, but it looks like they weren't alone, as Maki saw the whole thing. The next day after school, Maki has a chat with you, and he notes how close she is with Toko, despite only knowing each other for about a month. And after tiptoeing around the subject, he just comes out and asks if they're dating. Time to silence him. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta use some of those uh, student council connections to kind of, like, take him out. Time to suppress some voices. <laughs> <laughs> Need some hush money. And again, this isn't kill a kill. <laughs> no. Oh man, can you imagine, like, what kind of Goku uniforms, like, Toko and you would have? Ooh, God. <laughs> it seems almost sacrilege to imagine that Or like Toko just calling everyone pigs in human clothing <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Maki admits to witnessing their kiss As he came back to the student council building Because he forgot his pencil case Only to see them lip wrestle This kind of hits you hard But rather than worrying about herself She's worried about Toko first and foremost Because, you know, with all of her hidden anxieties And how she keeps thinking about keeping up appearances What'll everyone think when they find out that Oh, their student council president is dating the girl and that very same girl was the one who gave that big speech about her that made them all vote for her. You know, is it a conflict of interest here, you know? And also something like that would just be a complete nightmare for Toko. But uh, Maki can't know about that, so she just asked him to, like, say, hey, don't say anything. You know, Toko's just busy right now. She doesn't want to have to deal with all that stuff, you know? He does agree, and we find out that why he's so easygoing about this, and it's because he is someone who loves romance and just likes to see it unfold before his eyes. He then mentions that he grew up with uh, two older sisters, and because of that, he has a knack for listening to and understanding girls' feelings. He then goes on to say that he takes pride in being a spectator of love, and it's implied that the main reason he's doing this is because he himself is incapable of love, similar to you in a way. And there's a bit where he even remembers a girl saying that she loves him, but he turns her down because he just sees himself as just a member of the audience, you know? Though, you know, while Maki is meant to be generally here to provide more support, he does, uh, he does come off a little weird about it, you know, he's kind of, he kind of reminds you a bit of, uh, Denny from The Room, you know, I just like to watch you guys. Honestly, that's kind of what put him, put him off as a character to me a little bit, because, like, I know, because, like, he, because he's essentially, like, because, like, okay, he was, he was the asexual re representation we're yes. going to get to later in this right here. Yeah. But if I'm being completely honest, I don't think he's, like, the best representation I've ever seen because like it's just the way they frame him a little bit it's that Denny kind of perspective a little bit that doesn't that puts him off a little bit because yeah. I'm like this is not what like asexuals are like they're they're not fucking spectators okay mm -hmm. it's because like when you say spectator it sounds like an exhi exhibitionist almost like like oh yeah I'm just gonna watch this unfold he frames it as like I have a front row seat to this romance right here I'm like that's creepy. Like, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and that's what I was thinking, like, is he asexual? And I'm like, well, no, this isn't, like, the best, this isn't, like, that good of a representation, because, like, not all asexuals are like that. They're just people who don't, who just don't have, like, like, sex or anything, or just don't get love from, like, into, from, like, a physical intimacy, you know? And they also still have relationships, too, mm -hmm. and he just kind of, like, comes from the perspective of, like, you know, I'm just never gonna really date anyone, I have no interest in dating anyone, which is, like, 
totally different, you know? So, like, I don't know. Something about him just kind of put me off a little bit. Like, I wouldn't say that that rules him out entirely for me, because I think he's still, like, a generally nice guy, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, he means well. Like, I can understand enough that he means well. It's like, I know you're supportive, Magi. You know, you're rooting for love and all, but, you know, kind of pull it back a little, tone it down a little. Like, can you maybe recontextualize this in a way that is not, like, a little creepy? Yeah, but... Because when you said the term spectator, that put me off a little bit. Can we work this out? Can we maybe have a little powwow about this, buddy? Yeah, yeah but I would say, in general, that he, he is a good boy and he means well, you know? Yeah, he's a good boy and he means well, but, like, he, he's far from my favorite character in the mm-hmm. show. But, uh, you know, he's also the first person to notice that you it looks to have something for Toko, and... I mean, with, like, all the time watching romance go down left and right, he should be able to tell when two people are in love. You know, he's kind of got that experience, you know, watching it all the time. However, you protest and saying that it's not like that, you know. She's all like, oh, we, we were making out. We were, uh, you see, my lips were chapped, and I forgot my chapsticks, and also I ran out of money, so I can't buy a new one right now. And Toko had some, but she just ran out after she put some on her lips, and uh, uh, she decided to lend me some of hers by pressing her lips onto mine. Also, if you saw any tongue, that was just a shadow. You're imagining... Things shut up. You don't know. <laughs> she goes on moon landing with it or something like it didn't happen, man. It didn't happen. Oh, that's the denial speaking, you. <laughs> and on to the episode five: the problem with choices. Uh, I like the scene that opens up this episode as you is working the register at the bookstore, and you know she's kind of taking note of everyone's like you know book interests, and then Toko happens to stop by to get some books. And then you notices that she picked out a book that's a lesbian romance, and it's also apparently pretty raunchy in later chapters. You know, you're all thinking like, okay, Toko's just messing with me right here and trying to get a reaction out of me. I wish they showed the cover and it was just like Valkyrie Drive Mermaid. (laughs) (laughs) Just like the worst possible thing she could have possibly picked up. So, like, you tries to, like, play it all cool, you know, saying, like, okay, use your book, have a nice day. And then the next day, we just cut to Toko apologizing profusely about what about what she did. She just, like, I didn't know what that book was. I just wanted to see you, and I just picked up whatever on the I shelf. I totally didn't know that, like, it was going to be filled with lesbians turning into weapons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that term, disaster lesbian? That's Toko. <laughs> So midterms are on the horizon, and in addition to having tests and studying on the mind, Yu also has Maki's words on her mind, him saying that she must really care about Toka, but Yu says she's just being considerate about her feelings. It's not like I like her or, or anything, but babaka. And also don't say I'm Sundari, I'm not like that basic bitch Noelle Silva. <laughs> Still going on about that. Got another one. <laughs> anyway, Yu's not the only one with a lot on her mind, as there's something up with Koyomi. She's been falling asleep in class as of late and seems a little unfocused. Turns out she's an aspiring young writer as she's written a novel that she plans on entering a contest with. Though that won't be till after midterms, and she also wants you to give it a read and give her opinions on it. So establishing here that uh, Kiyomi's a writer, which will come up later on in the series. Right. And also back to midterms, uh, it's also back to preparing for all that. And Yu looks to do some studying in the library and happens upon Maki and sees if he wants to join in. Maki is about to agree, but quickly changes his mind as Toko shows up and decides not to be a third wheel. So this is one of the moments where Maki can be kind of a bro at times, where he kind of sees like, okay, you two are together, you know, don't mind me, I got something else to do. You two enjoy each other. But he still, he still kind of frames it as like, you be nice, you two. I have to do my own homework. Bye, lovebirds. Bye, lovebirds. <laughs> I'll be thinking about you two. Yeah, he is kind of Denny. I, he really, he is kind of <laughs> like Denny. He is. <laughs> You know, now nothing against Maki. I, I think he's a good boy, but still, he's he's kind of dennying it up here. They look, they look, they look back over him, over to him as he's leaving the library, and there's an apple nearby yeah. <laughs> on the table as he leaves, and he's just kind of standing there, 
looking at him, just like smiling innocuously, bobbing his head a little bit, grabs an apple, just takes a bite out of it. <laughs> Single bite that he just savors. It's a live. It's a fucking library, so you can hear it like audibly <laughs> echo in there. <laughs> See a library. The librarian look over at him like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And he just and then he just like walks right out the door. Just walks down some spiral staircase. <laughs> and the two just look at, look at each other and I'm like, "What's his deal?" <laughs> no, nothing against you. <laughs> we just we just love like making fun of you. Yeah. <laughs> you make it too easy, buddy. We do it in jest. Yes. <laughs> So Yu's glad that she has a study buddy, but she's having a hard time focusing because she's too busy thinking about Toko's sweet can. <laughs> of course, she would totally think about anyone's can, obviously. You know, it's not just because it's Toko's or anything. You know, I bet if uh, that dude's can was right, right next to me, I'd be thinking about that pretty hard. You know, Maki, why didn't you study? I bet you have a nice can. <laughs> totally not into you, Toko, or anything. You know, just, you know, everything's platonic. They continue to have their one-on-one study sessions, throughout, and throughout it, Yu remains hard-pressed that there's nothing special and that this is perfectly normal. And all throughout this, I'm like, oh, sweetie, you're just in love. Just accept it. And Toko is just on cloud nine during this whole thing. Just seeing her so happy to be by Yu's side is actually pretty adorable. Eventually, their study sessions lead to Yu inviting Toko to study at her place, since the library's gotten full. Toko is, of course, a little nervous about visiting her crush's place, but I say, hey, don't worry, Toko. It's a, I know it's a bit weird at first, you know, visiting the place of someone you have a crush on, you know, but hey, you get used to it. You just gotta relax, you know? Also, I bet if you had some pets around, that would definitely make things a lot easier. You know, two cats, a dog, too. That would make things a lot easier. Yeah, just round out everything nice and perfectly. You know, that's what I think. You throw in an iguana. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like the scene we get of uh, you and Toko spending time together in Yu's room, and Toko's just even more of an awkward mess, and I honestly find it really endearing. You know, even more endearing is the fact that she has no game whatsoever. <laughs> like, she tries to play it all cool, but she's just falling all over herself. It sounds like these, I wish the characters could be upfront enough to just say, like, so just to be fair, we're not going to, like, bang here, are we? <laughs> no, oh no, absolutely not. We're not. That's not going to happen whatsoever. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's just have a nice, normal night. You know, you were... I, I always prefer people to be that honest with me. Yeah. But you were thinking about it, right? I, you know, it, it, it came up, you know, but, you know, I was, wasn't going to go through with it or anything, you know. This is just nice two people hanging out in a room alone together. Nothing weird about that. No attraction whatsoever. Everything's platonic. No homo. Toko tells Yu that her heart's beating fast and asks if she wants to listen. And then Yu leans in close but instead just grabs her wrist and feels her heart beat that way. Like, you do get the impression from this that Yu is just intentionally doing this just to tease Toko a bit. She's fucking with her a little bit. Yeah, but just having a lot of fun, you know. While she may deny it, you can probably tell that she just likes seeing this shy side of Toko, you know, just being herself. And you can also say that without any romance or relationship, she feels that uh, Toko does really need her, you know, someone that she can really depend on, and Yu plans to stay by her side anytime she asks for her. As friends, though. Mm-hmm. Remember? You know, hey, Toko, wanna go walk home together? As friends. You know, maybe we can hold hands later. As friends. And later we can make out. Ask friends, Toko. Jeez, don't get any of the wrong ideas. <laughs> but seriously, though, this is all very sweet. Yeah, it is all quite fine. It's sweet. Yeah. Then we have episode six. Words kept repressed and words used to repress. Oh, boy. Big stuff on the way here. Oh, yeah, definitely. Midterms have come and gone, and it's back to thinking about the stage show. Though they hit a bit of a snag. 
They can't find anyone to write a script for them, and Toker really wants to do something original rather than use an old script from a previous year. Everyone asked if they know any writers that would be willing to do this, and we know that Yu knows of a certain aspiring young novelist who could do it, but she says nothing about it. Sayaka notices this, and later on has a chat with Yu. She asks her why she didn't say anything earlier when she clearly knew someone who would write for them a script, but then deduces that it's all because of Toko. You see, since she's been friends with Toko for so long, and she also knows about some of her insecurities, not all of them, but just uh, some of them, and so Sayaka sees that Yu is worried about that because of this play, Toko's putting a lot more unneeded pressure on herself, but Sayaka says Yu shouldn't be worried as Toko chose to do this. But Yu just wants to know why she even wants to do this in the first place, and then Sayaka gives her a hint. The student council president from seven years ago. Not only is the setup for what happens next, but it's also planting the seeds for Sayaka's character here. As you can see, she's very defensive about Toko and how she always wants to be by her side. And also how she hasn't been too keen on her and you being very close as they've been getting for the past month or so. We got some mystery. <laughs> you does some sleuthing around to find out anything from the, about the president from seven years ago, but she's coming up empty as files from that year are all missing. Later on, while talking to her sister Ray, Yu thinks about asking her since she knows someone who went to their school around that time. Ray gets a reply from a friend after she asks, and it's revealed that the president from seven years ago was Mio Nanami. So yeah, it turns out Mio was a model student. She's the kind of person that's always at the center of everything and one anyone can depend on. Sound familiar? Though there's a, there is a question as to why Toko has never brought up her sister. Well, the thing is, she actually died seven years ago in a traffic accident. It was right before the Culture Fest, too, which meant the stage show was put on hold and was never done again, out of respect. Oh shit, that's heavy. Yeah, very, very heavy. And this was a big event in Toko's life that caused her to do this radical change in her personality and why she forces herself to put on this facade. And after this revelation, Yu goes to Toko as she wants to talk. She tells her that she knows about her sister, and Toko reveals that after she died, she felt pressured by her family to become someone like Mio in order to keep her spirit alive. And I'm sure they had the best intentions, Toko's family, but uh, you can see it's had more of a negative effect on her. Like, she's incapable of being true to herself around anyone besides you, and even then, you can see that she just honestly doesn't like that side of herself. And it kind of goes back to what we're, we were saying earlier, how she didn't really have that much support in her life about keeping her true to herself. Honestly, it's an angle that kind of gets me more interested than, like, the uh, main romance, if I'm being honest. <laughs> it's all, I'm almost of the perspective where I'm all like, okay, okay, you you two can get together, but uh, let's get to some really heavy stuff then after yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I want to feel the angst. Right. <laughs> then we get the really good stepping stone scene, and I'll splice it in right here. I can't! Don't pretend you're not lonely! If you weren't lonely, then you wouldn't be pursuing a relationship. Even though you can't choose between your real side and the perfect side you show everyone, you still want to be with someone. And you said that person is me. Toko, I can't fall in love with either side of you. I haven't yet. And likely never will. I can't bring myself to feel that way. Really?
Will you still stay with me? I already told you. If you ask me to stay by your side, then that's what I'll do. I just need you to tell me what it is you really want. So tell me. I want... you to help with the show. Okay. Be by my side. Okay. When I'm lonely, be there for me. Okay. Don't develop feelings for anyone else. And what you're feeling now, don't let it become hate. Okay. And also, you. Yes. Please don't. just for today. If that's what you want. This is a little embarrassing, though. Nobody's even going to notice. It's fine. You, I love you. Yeah? Um, thank you, I guess. Whatever you do, don't change. But I want to change. Okay. I lied. And the reason? Because I'm lonely too. Uh, I really love this scene. Like, this is a big moment for you as she is. As you can see that she's really starting to turn the corner and starting to realize her feelings for Toko. She's not quite there yet, but, you know, baby steps. Okay, it, really it feels like it feels like an iconic moment that could be like that could be considered for the show really with them both uh, sort of like showing this like, visually showing this separation between each other on these stepping stones on this river but then like uh, uh, breaking down emotional barriers and kind of coming closer you know it's it's one of the finer um, um, directed uh, and like shot parts of the show in my opinion yeah you know like it's like you said it's very good. Uh direction wise is you know like yeah especially for a show that honestly overall i felt did not take enough chances directing wise or in my opinion could have taken more i don't know i really quite liked uh, the directing in the show quite well but uh with this scene i i especially love how like uh you have toko like giving these like requests of you and like every time like you agrees to a request she takes like one step closer and one step closer until they're standing face to face and i thought that was really well shot especially with them the camera just, or like uh, the way it's drawn, is that uh, you're just like looking at them stepping on the stones. You don't see like any other faces or anything. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a the the animation team really showed their chops here, and uh, I don't know if there's one t critique I would give a, I give with the show. I would give with the show, and I will say this right now: I give more critiques to towards the show than I think you do. <laughs> but I think the show definitely could have uh, delved more into that sort of visual experimentation uh, much more. Because I felt as far as visual visuals go, it was uh, a little dry in my opinion. I'll say that maybe it probably has to do with the studio because I tried looking up something on them and they didn't really see anything notable come up with it. So maybe it's just like a new studio or so. Mm, maybe, yeah. Maybe they are just uh, a little wet behind the ears. Yeah, but for what it is, I, I really like it. And I also especially love how the show really does uh, dusk lighting. Like, it's really good. Like, you know, that very sunset, everything's got that orangey hue to it. Like, they're really good at that. I would say it's okay. It's about what I would. It's about um, what I would expect from just about any slice of life series like this that tries to take itself seriously like this. It's like it's just what I would expect to be there from the get go. But yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. 
And uh, one thing I really want to bring up is uh, the acting, like really good stuff from uh, Lucy Christian and Tia Ballard here. Like they're really going all out with these characters. And they oh yeah, for, the, the acting really sells it. And here. they really do for like the rest of the series too. Like they're, they really do like a bang up job. They really stuff. do sell the Even importance of this, that uh, they, they really are making um, great headway in their relationship here. Yeah. All right, so we're halfway through the show, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with the second half of Bloom Into You. Episode 7, Secrets Galore and Sparks. We got a little backstory for Saika right here. Before she met Toko, she was actually in a relationship with another girl in middle school. It was that relationship that made her realize that she likes girls, but in the end it ended badly as when high school came around, the girl she was with broke it off by saying they were just kids and it was all just a phase. Mm. Just a phase, the phrase that is the bane of every queer person's existence. Though bullshit claim that everyone just like throws around at anyone who thinks they're interested in someone of the of the uh, same sex honestly another point i wish was explored more in this series <laughs> i would say what they do with it still works like they at least call it out and say that it's bullshit Ooh, i'm gonna be getting to that later i'm gonna be getting to that later <laughs> I'm gonna put a pin in that. I'm gonna return to that. Okay. Saika really struggled with that and honestly thought it was a phase. That is until she first met Toko. 
And to her, it was like that time when uh, Homer first saw Marge in The Simpsons. But, uh, you know, not that weird episode where they somehow met when they were at camp as kids. That dumb episode. I'm, talk <laughs> I'm talking about in high school, you know, with uh, Close to You by the Carpenters playing Why in the background. Why do birds suddenly appear every time you're near? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to go to the prom? Nope, she's mine. <laughs> want to go with Artie Ziff. <laughs> <laughs> So Saika is in love with Toko, though she, it's more she's more into the uh, perfect Toko facade that she loves. However, she's become to notice some of her weaknesses, but she still loves her nonetheless. And because of this, she's suspicious of her friendship with you and possibly jealous. By possibly jealous, I mean a lot jealous. Back to present day, as Yu has decided to suggest to Kiyomi that she write the script to the play, and she introduces her to Toko and Saika. They discuss the play at a local cafe run by Miyako Kodama, played here by Christina Kelly. And during this, they run into their teacher, Riko Hakazaki, played here by Patricia Duran, who seems to be pretty close to Miyako, and Saika seems to notice this a little bit. But before we get more into that, I want to bring up another really cute scene between uh, Toko and Yu as uh, they're walking home together after they and after they part ways with uh, Saika and Kiyomi. And Toko brings up how uh, everyone calls Yu by her first name, and even she does it, but she was kind of thinking maybe they can uh, try nicknames one of these days. And then Toko start, starts off by calling her dear, which uh, Yu is just unfazed by that. And she goes, that me? <laughs> then uh, Yu tries some uh, nicknames too, and she starts off with honey, but that just causes Toko to pretty much curl up into a ball of embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> then Toko suggests that, uh, how about instead of nicknames, just say her first name very sweetly. And then uh, Yu go does a little uh, Toko, Toko. Toko, darling. <laughs> like that last one, though. Something about a character played by Tia Ballard calling someone darling seems seems right to me, you know? <laughs> well, I'd say it is. <laughs> I like it, screw you. Well, so, I don't know. I think, I, I don't know. I would have loved, would have loved to have seen Toko just like, what if I call you, you! <laughs> Soldier, what's up? <laughs> Come on, it was too obvious. It was right there. <laughs> Uh, Toka, I didn't know you listened to Soldier Boy. <laughs> There's a lot you don't know about me, you. <laughs> Fuck it, it could work. Yeah, it could work. <laughs> but, you know, Toka was just blushing like crazy, and, like, I can't seriously get enough of you just playfully teasing her. And it's like subverting the expectations because, in, like, any other Yuri romance story, the roles would be reversed, you know? It would be Toko in, like, any other series, be the one playing around with you, but here it's the other way around, and I kind of think it really makes it all the more endearing, their relationship. Mm, I don't know. I would imagine that could be kind of, like, standard, that sort of, like, playful little dialogue in some other Yuri's as well. Yeah. But, like, the the way they do it here, it's just, like, I really like how they do it, and it's one of the major reasons I love the show, this whole relationship between the two. Though, a side note to the scene I want to bring up is that in the Japanese version, it's slightly different, because uh, rather than asking to be called by a nickname, Toko suggests that she and you call each other by their first names, because, you know, it's the very Japanese thing of calling someone by their first name to show closeness. And in the Japanese version, and in the manga, you calls Toko uh, Senpai, or Nanami Senpai, but in the dub, they don't use honorifics, because... In all honesty, they sometimes don't translate well to English. Mm, right. So they have to have her call Toko by her first name, probably because it's it's more natural to us English speakers, and also it just fits uh, lip flaps a lot better. Oh yeah, yeah. They would have had to like kind of work that over a little bit. So yeah, they they translated that quite well. Yeah, and uh, credit to Marissa Lenti for being able to adapt the scene. And uh, despite the change in the name department, she was able to keep the uh, intent of the scene here. Yeah, she did a fine job. 
And also in doing so, she ended up making the scene 10 billion percent times gayer as a, and that gets a thumbs up for me. <laughs> Good job. Hell yeah. Later that night, we get the deets on Miyako and Miss Hakozaki's relationship as the two are in a actual romantic relationship. Blue NCU showing two adult women in a healthy lesbian relationship, and honestly, I can't think of any other series that has done this, at least one I've seen. Uh, you know, that, that's a good point to bring up, because this is kind of one of the... Okay, I think I think I finally just need to get into this. Like, I need to be kind of completely upfront and say that, like, Bloomin' to You, yes, it is good, but this was kind of a hard anime for me to get into, because I gotta be upfront, I have been spoiled by so much other LGBT media that stuff like this, I feel, could always go one step further. Because, yes, you made a good point. We've got uh, two um, adult lesbian women in here uh, in a good relationship here and stuff. God, what I wouldn't give to see just an anime that, like, covers that, like, in, like, how, like, Japan actually is with, like, actual, like, gay people and stuff. Because, like, this is... Uh, I'm... Ugh. This is what made for a, bit, a lot of, like, conflict with me watching Bloom Into You. Because, yes, on the surface... Everything here makes for pretty good drama. Yes, it is all good. It all works together pretty well, but... Ugh, this is like... I'm coming from the perspective of somebody who has come off of such uh, other media that has covered um, these topics in much more in-depth like terms and stuff. Because I, it, was, it was hard for me to switch my brain around here, because yes, a lot of the story is on the character of Toka and you, and um, how Toka sees herself... Uh, how she has sort of um, built herself up over time and how she relates so much to her dead sister. Yes, that makes for a lot of good drama right there and is quite good. But it's the problem I have with so many works within, like, the Yuri genre and also just, like, LGBT manga in general is that I feel like a lot of it doesn't delve enough into the societal problems that are actually at play in Japan. We do get hints of it here in Bloom Into You. We do see how characters uh, cannot reveal their feelings because we know in the background there is that oppressive culture in Japan. There is that sort of... Um, over in Japan, it is the sort of like reinforced uh, state of silence, this, this code of silence. Like a sort of like don't ask, don't tell thing right. over there. Where like, I think it kind of ties into the sort of like courtesy that Japan has been, that Japan culturally is so well known for that you just, you know, don't, like, talk about certain subjects because that's just not proper courtesy. And that is sort of uh, delved into, and that is sort of, like, transformed into this culture where uh, gay people cannot uh, openly talk about their sexualities in public or, like, very openly in certain media. But um, I feel like many, very many manga and anime works out there could do so much more to delve deeper into that culture. And, um... I say this only as somebody who has read works like uh, Fun Home over here in the U.S., which is about a woman who discovered her own sexuality and realized that her father, who died, could not express his own uh, homosexuality and lived under uh, a sort of uh, oppressive life and culture that uh, suppressed that. Or um, the work I am thinking about more that pertains much more to this, and what has, which has spoiled me for every LGBT work coming out of Japan from this point on, because it set the bar that high, 
was, and I gotta bring this up because it's just so topical, My Brother's Husband. Which is great, by the way. Have you read it? Yeah. Entirely? Good. It's fantastic. So glad you finally got to that. I, every manga and anime work from this point forward is going to be so hard for me to, like, imbue with that, like, for me to take in that handles that subject matter because it's set the bar that high. Because in My Brother's Husband, that is a story about a man who, um, was, who just, who did accept his brother as uh, mm-hmm. being, uh, gay growing up, mm-hmm. but in the end didn't really, technically, because he was silent about it. He never talked about it with his brother, and they both grew up separately, not knowing each other's lifestyles. But then when that man, when that man's, uh, uh, gay brother dies... He then has to confront that man's uh, Canadian, his brother's Canadian husband, who then comes into his life. And he shows him, like, every courtesy that he possibly could, and, you know, is very nice to him, but then realizes over time that, like, yeah, I did kind of contribute to this culture that exists in Japan where gay people have to suffer in silence, where we just don't talk about it, but that is just as bad as actively oppressing that le- those... Um, that lifestyle, that sexuality, that right. part of who people are. Exactly. And it has an effect on the people around me. It has an effect on my uh, little... His daughter. Cute, my daughter. My cutest shit daughter. And it's not fair to this uh, nice man that my brother married, who is just nothing but nice to me. Who is like just like the nicest person I've ever met. An absolute sweetheart. Who never sweetheart. did anything wrong. Who's just an absolute sweetheart. That, that story is so fucking amazing because it actually observes and actually holds to scrutiny the culture that exists in Japan that oppresses gay people, that oppresses people of any like uh, different uh, non-heterosexual um, uh, background. And God, I've <laughs> it's it stifled my enjoyment of Bloom into You. I'm not going to lie because I just keep wondering, like, okay, can we please explore more of this adult? lesbian relationship here and why they cannot tell other people about that can we observe this friend who got like turned down by somebody in school because somebody told her that was a phase can we do anything more than what is just the surface level stuff and not just put it to the background like oh god actually if you are interested more in seeing like more of a Saika's past i do believe there is actually a spin-off uh, series all about her I would hope there that is. it covers it more. I believe it does. Because like like, it covers everything up until uh, she meets uh, Toko. Like, that's where it ends, I believe. I would hope so. Because, like, if it if it does not explore her exploring, like, the actual LGBT community in Japan, I'm going to be very disappointed. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> yeah. you. I, hope, I just hope I'm not, like, coming across as, like, petty and asking for too much. No, I can. I to- really hope I don't. I can totally get it. Because I've been like having to like think about this really hard about how I would approach this and why I couldn't fully enjoy Bloom Into You as much as you did. No, I can totally get that because uh, for me, I first saw Bloom Into You before I completed uh, My Brother's Husband. So like I kind of saw this first and then I saw that second. So it kind of didn't affect my uh, opinion on this show that way. Yeah, I'm coming in from the, of the perspective where the bar has already been raised so high for yeah. me. That Bloom Into You kind of, like, just comes up short. Yeah, I try not to do that with, like, a lot of the shows I do. You know, I know, I've seen a lot of shows that are kind of similarly compared to each other, but I just try to, like, do the best, like, push that out of mind, look at it on its own thing. And uh, for this, while, like, I would like to have seen a lot more, uh, 
Like, I do agree with you. I would like to see more stories that cover, like, more real aspect of it, you know, the hardships that the community goes through in Japan. But for the story that they're trying to tell here, I feel like they're just trying to, like, do it more of a normal, idealized world where they don't have to deal with any of the hardships. It's just kind of like trying to portray what would an idealized world be. It's it's almost kind of like the, uh, the Yuri on Ice thing, because, like, in that world, you know, everyone's generally accepting of, like, their relationship while they don't actually explicitly say it. It's very generally accepted and everything like that, and they don't have to deal with any of the, uh, you know, discrimination or hardships. But therein also lies the rub. That the, that can also be a double-edged sword, because that the more be. you normalize and make the world seem like it's actually good, the more you can... I feel that uh, that can, at times, if that's done a little too much, that can trivialize what actually happens in the world. Oh, yeah. Like, and then stories like My Brother's Husband could possibly uh, go under the radar. Oh, yeah. Like, and not be as widely uh, pro- profligated or not um, inform people of what the actual real-world culture is like. Oh, yeah. I feel like you definitely need both a dose of both you need like idealized normalcy but you also need like a a dose of reality too like but you need to kind of like balance it out both you know check out both stories and everything you know you can have your cute romances yeah know the whole situation like don't don't get like so wrapped up in one story that you ignore the other oh yeah like that's definitely the thing like you know like i really like bloom into you you know it's this idealized world but you know i do understand that yeah it's not exactly like that in Japan and stuff. Yeah, because like I, I kind of had that nagging feeling at the back of my head, that nagging voice throughout this whole thing that was like, yes, dead sisters are pretty bad, but you know, it's also pretty like anxiety-inducing. Having to like hide your sexuality from an entire country that doesn't actually care about you, that actively does not care that you exist, that honestly does not want you to really bring that up, in a public sphere, and would prefer you to be quiet. And it's like, that was... Uh, that that voice at the back of my head was uh, p- piping up a little bit yeah. at the show. <laughs> but also at the same time, you can also understand that, like, you know, people's, like, sexualities has to be kind of treated as, like, a normal thing. Like, it is normal to feel the way you do. Right, right, mm-hmm. yeah. And the d- series does a fine job of that. It does. It's just... I, I'm spoiled. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm spoiled. <laughs> I just, I just want like somebody out there to like some some work out there, whether it be manga or an anime that like you know really lives up to like my brother's husband again. That really raises that bar yet again. I don't know, dude. That's the big dog of like. Uh, I know. I feel like I'm asking for much. You're, you're 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 asking for you're asking for a mile when they give you an inch. I'm I'm hoping. I'm just hoping. Okay. Yeah, I'm really but, hoping. Yeah. But what I will. But say I'm also just. But I guess I'm also saying that as. Uh, I guess the only way I can really say that is knowing that I am an American. Where um, over in the U.S. that is stuff that is uh, we're going through a bit of a, a cultural revolution right now, where it is seen as a point of pride to bring that stuff up and not be silenced about that subject matter as well, to not be silent, to, you know, have pride in who you are. And, um, I guess, uh, I guess Japan in that way has not really, uh, caught up entirely, that it does not really have that, uh, while the, it does have that LGBTQ community over there in Japan, it does not have, um, has, it does not have as many channels to really, at least in, like, broader media, to really have that kind of representation like we are over in the U.S. having right now. So I feel like in some ways Japan um, is in some ways being... I feel like the LGBT community over there could use so many more resources that like they ha- they do not have over there that uh, the community does have in the U.S. right here. At least that's my spin. Yeah. At least that's my spin. Because yeah. I just want to see like so many more works. I just want to see more works 
like my brother's husband that actually does that actually brings out the LGBT community in Japan a lot more. And I guess, and I'm just spoiled by that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm spoiled by that. Because it's like we finally got a breakthrough, and I'm watching In, in Bloom Into You, and it still feels like, I don't mean to sound mean, but it just kind of feels like more of the same. But at the same time, you can still like have both. Like, not everything has to be. Yeah, again, we come to that back to that point that, yes, you can have both the same, but mm-hmm. I can, I, I just want people to understand that if you have that perspective like me, where you're feeling a little frustrated that, like, not enough is being done... I just want to let you know I think that feeling is uh, valid in some way. Mm-hmm. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a frustration that needs to be directed towards the people actively um, uh, oppressing all of, all of those feeling, all of those um, oppressing all of, the, all, of that, all of those backgrounds as well, those, those, those sexualities over in Japan. I just want to let people know that like, the, the, all of that frustration should be directed towards that overall culture, that culture that is actually like, you know, bringing people down, you know. Mm. Yeah, sorry to get a little heavy <laughs> here, but, like, <laughs> I just had a hard time in my head, like, con- constructing how I would really approach, breach that subject matter. And it just, I guess it just goes more into my, into, like, the broader perspective of some people online that feel that they should be doing, like, more activism with what they're doing, you know. You know, it's you, you see that with, like, some uh, YouTube creators that used to, you know, be all like fun and happy with their old stuff, but now cover more serious subject matter and want to do more um, actual, I suppose, somewhat activism with, with some of the works that they're doing. Some like reviewers online as well. So I don't know. I guess I'm maybe per- approaching it from that perspective a little bit that like more could be done here a little bit. There's some work that could be done, but um, no, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm shitting on Blue yeah. to you though. I really because, don't like, want to. like with this to. show in the end, it's like, this is that's not the story they're trying to tell, right? It's not the story they're trying to tell. Story. Yeah, it's a simple story. Yeah, you know, if they, I bet you, if like this creator really wanted to uh, tell that story, I bet they definitely could. Right, right. But then you know, that's not what they wanted to do. They just wanted to do something very like simple and easy to get, and yeah. still very, very well done. Right. Still want to see a series, full series, about the adult lesbian couple though. <laughs> I really want to see that. Oh yeah, they deserve a spinoff. A spinoff where they go to a gay club, okay? <laughs> I want that. No, I just want like a and spin-off. they and they interact with the with an entire community with the entire community there. No, I just kind of want to spin off them bring that coffee shop together. Fuck that! I don't want that. I want to like push the bar, man. <laughs> yeah. I want to go the extra mile because <laughs> they got to do something like that. Other than that, you know, they got to have like some kind of obligation towards that. But again, that's not what they want to do here. Well, not, well, for, for if they did a spinoff with the adult with an adult couple. They could, maybe. They could. But again, like... Because, they, because it's characters that aren't dealing with dead sisters, mm-hmm. you know? We're just, for all intents and purposes, normal people. <laughs> yeah. And so, the following day, we go back to Saika, and she stops by the cafe to talk with Miyako. She comes out to her and asks if she's in a relationship with Miss Hakuzaki. Anyway, how's your sex life? <laughs> <laughs> Though, Miyako is very straightforward with her and says, like, yeah, they're dating. And Miyako catches on the, uh, the reason why Saika asked about this is that uh, she's possibly interested in another girl. While not naming her, Saika goes on to talk about how much she really cares about Toko and what she really likes about her. Then she says the reason why she never says anything about it is because she's worried that it'll put more pressure on Toko and that could wreck the current friendship, which is a very real worry, you know, if you're like really into someone that you're close to and then... And if you try to, like, say, you want to go further with that, it could eventually, you could have that worry about saying, like, uh, could this mess up or dynamic or whatever. From, from many testimonies I've heard, that is always a constant concern. It is. For, for, like, gay people out there. 
But I could get some helpful advice from Miyako, and she says there's nothing wrong with having that worry, and it just goes to show how much she really cares about Toko's feelings and how she's putting that in the forefront. And it's also just nice seeing Saika get this advice and support from an adult who knows exactly what she's talking about. And also this is the first person she's ever came out to and she's being accepted and treated respectfully, which has never happened, especially with her ex in middle school. And so on to episode 8. Yeah, this episode's pretty simple, but uh, some things happened in this episode that I'll uh, quickly cover here. I do love how this episode starts off with uh, Saika bumping into her ex at the train station and uh, her ex tries to act if uh, nothing happened, you know, and she's all like, and she has the fucking gall to say like, oh, I'm sorry for making you like girls, you know. But uh, Saika has like the best response for her, like, uh, she basically tells her to fuck off in the best way, you know. Toko comes by, she was waiting for her, and then she kind of like wraps her arm around uh, Toko and just, and she's just all like, bish. <laughs> <laughs> You know, kind of gets a little closer to Toko, then slowly slides her hand into the back pocket, you know, just like, nope, just don't say anything, just walk back and just gives her ex the stink eye, like, yeah, this could be us with you playing. I came, I get, like, like, like a, like a macro image came to mind of, like, Arthur, of, from, of, like, that took, like, a still from Arthur, like, yelling back at Binky Barnes. Yeah. <laughs> being all like, I'm fucking gay, you bitch! <laughs> I wanted that moment so bad. <laughs> But no, I really like this moment. It's just this indirect fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> fuck you, still gay. Still gay. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, this episode is mostly just some uh, side stories that don't really affect the overall plot in any way. Just some uh, nice moments, though. And uh, the biggest of this episode is that uh, we have you and Toko walking home together in the rain while sharing a lover's umbrella. And uh, as you see, uh, you forgot hers and was going to share one with Akari, but uh, then she noticed the guy that Akari's been crushing on for quite a while, and he doesn't have an umbrella either, so she's all like, hey, go get her, girl. Just being being a total bro. Yeah, use the oldest trick in the book, girl. <laughs> you tries to figure out a way to walk in the rain and decides to walk home with Toko. And it's all very sweet, especially when they have their, uh, I love their little kind of like petty argument where they're just like trying to decide who holds the umbrella and in the end they just end up holding it together. And eventually they take a rest on a bench and then Toko falls asleep on Yu's shoulder. It's like a series of nice, this episode was just a series of nice moments and there's just really nothing wrong with that. It's been dead tired to like sleep out there in the open. Jesus. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's in the rain. Like what are you going to do? Just like walk home in the rain? It's going to be fucking cold out there and you can't be covered from the rain the entire time. They got their winter uniforms on. Fuck that. That's <laughs> not going to help. It's fine. I, I have never looked at a winter uniform in any anime and thought, oh yeah, that could keep somebody like perfectly warm. Hey, weather. they don't live here where like <laughs> the coldest weather can like friggin' frostbite you in like 10 seconds. So it gets chilly over there though. Yeah, it's fine. I don't know, maybe it's just me talking and I'm the kind of guy who wears shorts in 40 degree weather. Then again, I can't understand what kind of oppressive system the uniform system is like over there in Japan, you know. God knows I would hate it. Oh, I'd fucking hate it too. God, who wouldn't want to wear those uniforms like all the time, every day? Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> Japan, you borrow a lot of things. I know you borrow a lot of things from other countries, but God, you gotta like <laughs> drop that whole like you know, costume thing in schools. <laughs> Liberate your kids, please. And so, on to episode 9, On Your Marks and the Unheard Start Signal. With all that taken care of, it's on to the next big school event. This time, it's the sports fest, though this isn't a My Hero kind of sports fest, so we can't allow the students to beat each other up. Instead, this is more like a regular one, like the one from uh, Miss Kobayashi, minus a uh, big boob dragon lady getting involved. Mmm, yes. While getting everything prepared, you and Toko have a little alone time together, and since with all that's been going on, it's been hard for them to get together. 
Toka wants some smooches, but Yu is all like, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh-uh. So instead, they make a deal. If the sports fest goes well and Toka remains on her best behavior, then you will have to give her a kiss. What kind of fucking sub-dom relationship is this, like, <laughs> blossoming here? <laughs> hey, man, they're both consenting teenagers. I, I, I know, I know. It's just... Seems a little soon for that kind of relationship. You think you might want to work things out a little bit more. Makes you wonder what kind of shoujo manga. Like, just he like was into. dangling the treat of like of like a sexual favor, you know. <laughs> kind of makes you wonder what kind of shoujo manga you read. <laughs> <laughs> she read Nana Takaru. <laughs> <laughs> and so the sports fest arrives, and everything looks to be going well. Getting away from the action, you and Maki take a break together, and they have a little tete-a-tete. During their conversation, he brings up Toko, and Yu tries to reiterate that there's nothing between them, and that it's because she can't fall in love. And it's this scene that uh, Maki tells her that he's the same way, and uh, taking the scene and combining it with the uh, scene from a few episodes ago, we do come to the conclusion that, uh, yeah, Maki is of the asexual, aromantic variety. And, you know, the topic of being ace came up in, like, the first episode, but here it's, like, they're being a lot more explicit with it in in a way, sort of. I I guess it still doesn't. I'm still not completely sold on like the positive portrayal aspect, but yeah. uh, still, because again, I let's let's not forget that whole spectator angle. Yeah, we can't forget that. Yeah, but I do want to give him credit for at least uh, trying to do that. You know, I don't see really very many like anime out there, like more mainstream anime, trying to like do that in a way. <sighs> I guess. I guess. Like it's 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 good enough, I suppose. Anyway, while Yu sees herself and Maki as one of the same, Maki can clearly tell that isn't the case. On to one of the last events, and that's the relay race, and the student council will be racing together, though they have a tall order as they have to go up against the more athletic clubs, such as the basketball club, whose team captain and Toko have a little rivalry together. The race is on, and while the student council does well, ultimately they end up in third place, which is still good for a non-sports club. The sports fest comes to a close, and because of how hard she worked and for being on her best behavior, Toko gets a kiss from Yu, and I'll splice you in that scene. Right here. Come on, you. Hurry up. Why are you so eager all of a sudden? I want my reward, duh. I behaved for the entirety of sports day, didn't I? I know I said once sports day is over, but I didn't think it would be directly afterwards. Don't keep me waiting. Come on. Jeez. Okay, okay. Do whatever you want. That wasn't the deal. This is about what you're going to do to me, not the other way around. Right, that's what you asked. I shouldn't. Why shouldn't I? I don't know. But something is telling me this is a line I shouldn't cross. I can tell. What's the matter? Sorry, I... It just feels wrong for me to be the one who starts. Huh? I mean, I... Kissing you even though I don't like you... Just feels like something I shouldn't do. But you promised me. Okay. Well, I guess I was asking for too much. But still, if you're going to break your promise in exchange, I'll do what I want.
Hey, Toko! I'm sorry. If you're not comfortable, then I'll stop. I just... No, that's not... It wasn't bad or anything. I mean, like... It wasn't unpleasant. It felt good. It felt good? Are you... Serious? <laughs> the way she spreads goodwill without expecting anything in return. The way she treats everyone so kindly. Her silky smooth hair and her long eyelashes. Her nice smell. Her soft skin. That's all superficial stuff that anyone can them isn't special. I can hear a heartbeat. But that must be hers. Because it can't be mine. Because it's beating. Way too fast. Dear God, does it get kind of steamy here? Yeah, and like, <laughs> this is one of the more iconic kiss scenes in the entire series. Like, I remember when uh, this was airing, you know, looking up online, everyone was like waiting for this moment to see, like, oh, how are they going to animate this? Like, this is one of the big, big scenes. Right, because they, they, kick, they kick their relationship up a notch here. Yeah, like, they elevated from, like, you know, small little kisses to, like, full-on making out. They were, like, they were, like, one baseball, like, pitch away from, like, getting to second base there. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, this is full-on first base right here. Like, it's very, very passionate, and I will credit the animators doing a good job of showing that. Or no, wait, shit. Did I get my base terminology? No, I'm pretty sure, that's, pretty sure that's it. No, 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 wait. No, first base is... Kissing. No, I think kissing is second base. No, I'm pretty sure that's first base. No, I don't think so. I think kissing is second base, foreplay is third base. Hold up. Fuck, I gotta, like, look this up. Okay? <laughs> I want to be correct, okay? You're not fucking cutting this out, okay? <laughs> okay. You want me to keep in you searching? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Click. Click. <laughs> this is scintillating <laughs> podcasting right here, buddy. The hypest podcasting on the internet. <laughs> I'm looking up sexual bases. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, fuck, you were right. Yeah. First base, kissing, including yeah. open mouth. Second base equals what? Petting above the waist, including touching, feeling, and holding. What's third base then? It's gotta the... be like feeling you, feeling each other up. It's gotta be. What was third base again? Third base, petting or orally stimulating below the waist. Oh, first base is kissing, including open mouth. Second base is above the waist. Above the waist, kind of feeling and. Caressing and touching. Third base is any touching... Down there. Down below the waist. Oh, and then yeah. home base. Yeah, and yes. of course. Yeah. Well, I learned something today. Yeah, there you go. I was right. I learned something. Yeah, yes, you were right. You were right. <laughs> well, you know, you didn't, have to get, you didn't have to get fucking personal by cursing me out. But... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's only our friendship on the line. <laughs> hey, I can be petty about things, too. Oh, okay, you're right. <laughs> if I can be petty about Watchmen, then you can be petty about that. <laughs> but yeah, this is like one of the more iconic kiss scenes, and I will say, I, re I do really like the directing in here, and like another good example of like the dusk lighting, it just really adds that extra sizzle to the scene. Yeah, yeah, it does. And another important thing to the scene is that uh, Yu is now really starting to turn the corner on her feelings for Toko, you know, the stepping stone scenes was like kind of the, the first step, so to say, and then like this is just really 
solidifying it but you know she may still question it but like this kind of like we the audience we know that yeah you really love her mm-hmm. and with that we're on to episode 10 the incomplete me and mirage the sports fest is now behind them and now the student council can get ready for the culture fest and the stage show Kayomi has even finished the script, though she's still a bit unsure about the ending, but, you know, it's still a first draft, we'll work on it later. So what's the story? The main character is laid up in a hospital with... Amnesia! Dun dun dun! <laughs> so we got a bit of all my circuits here. Oh boy, we're going for that, aren't we? <laughs> Let me get this straight. Is there anyone here without amnesia? Uh, uh, uh I don't know. <laughs> Well, they are amateurs working here, so, you know, it's fine. (laughs) It's forgivable. And so the main character gets visited by three people, a family member, their lover, and a friend, and the main character gets a different impression of themselves from each person, and they have to decide what kind of person they want to live their life as. Hitting pretty close to home there, eh, Toko? Okay, with that angle, it's actually... Okay, it's it's a college-level play, I'd say. Yeah. Though, thinking about this plot, I kind of, like... I started to kind of think about this whole idea of, like, how other people can see you, and I'm kind of starting to think, like, huh, what how other, other other people see me, in a way? Just, like, you know, like, say, like, what does my family see, or do my friends see, you know? Like, it's, it kind of does, like, add, bring up that question, you know? Mm, yeah, it's like, it's, it's like that meme of, like, you know, what my parents think I do, what my friends yeah, exactly think I that. do. Yeah, exactly that. How, like, other people kind of see you in that regard. Yeah, it is kind of an interesting question that one can ask themselves. I question that all the time. So the reason Koyomi came up with this plot is because she wanted to write a story with characters that fit the actors. Since Toko was set to play the lead, she couldn't get a grasp on what kind of person she really is, so she came up with a story where her character doesn't know who she is and has to decide on that. And hey, I, I totally want to see this. It's pretty creative. She gets, she gets, mul- it's, it's like the Joker. Her background is multiple choice. <laughs> it's like, eh, it's, it's, I've been at it for so long, even I don't remember it. <laughs> it's like, it's like multiple endings in like a dating sim or something. Or like, who do you want to be? Or like a Telltale game. Yeah. You choose like, or maybe she gets like the fourth choice and then she just gets to be like, go off and uh, join the circus or something. <laughs> <laughs> you get one of the joke endings. <laughs> one of the joke endings. Goes off, becomes a juggler. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they need to like uh, workshop this uh, play into like a dating sim later on. I escape the zoo and go on a nice little journey with my pet, with my pet tiger. <laughs> you be, you be you girl. <laughs> So with Toko as the lead, who's playing the other roles? We have Yu as the nurse taking care of Toko's character, Maki is the younger brother, Dojima is playing the classmate, and the role of the lover goes to Sayaka. And real meta joke from Dojima as he says, Huh, there are lesbians in this show? (laughs) (laughs) Clearly you don't know what kind of show you're in. It's 2019, Val, okay? (laughs) It's not that big a deal. Yeah, you know, they're everywhere, we're normal. Well, as normal as we can be in Japan like this. Yeah. The concept of... <laughs> the concept. Is normal. It's like, don't ruin this... Don't ruin the concept of the show, buddy. <laughs> and also, I just kind of, like, started to think of it on, on, like, even a more meta level, because it's, it just shows that uh, Dojima didn't even read the script before they started talking oh, about yeah, it. Oh, yeah, that's the other angle, too. <laughs> so, like, he doesn't know what show he's in, and also, like, he didn't even read the script, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's a double, a double whammy joke. It's in character. Yeah. So in order to get prepared as possible, Toko has the student council get together during summer break for a special study camp. Yu teases Toko a little about what she's going to do since they'll be spending more time together on this trip, even sleeping in the same room. So girl, can you keep your thirst in check? But seriously, Toko tells you that she's been way too forward as of late and she's going to hold back for now. You know, she doesn't want to wreck their friendship and make you hate her. 
you know, always be considerate, kids, but, you know, you doesn't mind it that much, and kind of, but she still appreciates the sentiment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this series does really know how to put over consent in a way. Well, yeah, like, also for what's coming up, too, like, they don't, like, you know, dwell on it too much, this whole, like, you know, togetherness thing, you know, the whole, in- the whole um, nakedness or intimacy thing, yeah. I suppose. But so I do appreciate them showing kind of, like, the do's and don'ts of, like, relationships, you know, like, even if you don't know what you're doing, you still have to, like, you know, there are still boundaries you can't cross. Hmm. Yeah, the series is good at is doing that, establishing that there are boundaries in relationships. It kind of reminds one me... Of the, one of the things it does best, in my opinion. It kind of reminds me of, like, this other uh, Yuri series that started airing in the same exact year as Bloom Into You, but uh, uh, it did everything all wrong when it comes to that. Uh, a little series called uh, Citrus. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently, like, it... Uh, I, I watched a little bit of it, but I just couldn't get into it because it starts to get really, really bad touchy in a way and also also it seems very fetishy too because you know the main characters are like two girls who fall in love but the other angle is that they're stepsisters so it just adding that with like one of the characters just kind of like forcing herself on the other girl just like really just no that shit does not help whatsoever no that's just like if you want to talk about a series that really does nothing for the lgbt community like that one it okay i would i would fucking hate that then you would probably really hate the show (laughs) if you'd watch it like i could barely make through it and make it through it and i'm just like no that citrus is garbage and that's sad too because that was a title i kept hearing pop up every now yeah i heard about it too and i was kind of like really interested in it but it's just like a big letdown, but thankfully, Bloom Into You came in later in the year for me. I'm just like, oh, thank you, God. Right, right. And then later, you got Kase-san and The Morning Glory. Oh, yeah, and that's like, oh, another series I absolutely adore. Yeah, that, that one's... If, am I right to assume that that one is more in, like, the sweet, less serious side? That's very, very cutesy. Like, you still get some dramatic moments, but for the most part, it's a very cutesy series. Okay, okay. So while Toko tries to hold back, she does end up calling you late one night, and it's almost very therapeutic in a way, because in the, later in the episode, you have like a scene where she's kind of talking with her parents, and they're kind of like getting a little agitated at each other a bit, you know, almost like on the verge of an argument, and she's just getting so frustrated, but then she calls you, and then it's just like, everything's just great, you know, she can make like everything better for her. Which is right. kind of really good in a relationship, you know, something that you can like at least talk to, kind of like make you feel better. Right, right. What if it turned out her dad was gay? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that oh, there's me. an angle to explore. That wouldn't surprise me, actually. <laughs> then like, again, I the think... The series going that route. Eh, I think they'd be accused of ripping off Fun Home, though. Eh, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> already, like, already got one dead family member in the family, you know, so can't have that happen again. Ooh, speaking of dead family members, uh, this episode ends on a post credit stinger that uh, does a really well job of showing, like, what happened to Toko's sister as we see a young Toko and Mio kind of playing together and, and the entire scene is done entirely with music and just like no other sound accompanying it just like just see the visuals and just see all their quality time spent together and then it ends with like uh, their mom asking them to go out to the store they play rock paper scissors for it Mio loses and then she asks to go time passes the music starts to ramp up until you just hear sirens Mm. it's like that's a really really good scene yeah and that's more of the playing around i would have liked to have seen more in the series too oh this 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 time playing around more with uh what you hear in the show playing around more with the uh, music and music cues yeah but this scene pretty great yeah sells it quite well 
this this like traumatic backstory and very much you know show don't tell like we know that she died you know just kind of like leave it up to the audience to like infer what exactly happened yeah not a bad example of that and you can also see that this really eats at toko a lot because like we get this flashback in a dream of hers you know she's been dreaming about this exact moment her sister died and you can kind of tell that she's been kind of like blaming herself for this whole incident because you know she thought like oh if i had gone out then she'd still be here today right and now we move on to episode 11 Centroid of the Triangle and Lit Fuse. The day of the study camp has arrived, and I like to imagine everyone kind of getting all hyped, like uh, the characters in My Hero Academia about their study camp, you know, going, Camp! 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 <laughs> well, it would be nice to see some enthusiasm from these characters, you know? I always, I always crave for that kind of quirkiness in real life, but no, these people are just like, yep, we're going to the, we're going to the camp right here, and it's like, okay, well, be more excited, can you? <laughs> well, then again, they're kind of going there to work on a play that some. Yeah, that is true. They on. are going there to work. Yeah. yeah, and some of them are still pretty unsure about doing this stage show. Mm -hmm. They begin their rehearsal, and they come to the ending of the play, in which the main character chooses which personality to adopt, and the one she chooses is the one from her lover. Which, in a way, does kind of make sense. If you, if anyone should know what kind of person you are, it would most likely be your lover, you know, the person that you're the closest to, and, like, kind of, honestly, kind of tell more about than, you say, your friends or your family. I mean, if your amnesia didn't make you forget how to infer things <laughs> and take cues, <laughs> then, yeah, it's probably the safe bet. However, Kiyomi's not feeling it. It's just, something's not sitting right. It just, I got it. How about we put in a scene where the main character tries on a bunch of funny hats? You know, to show her more playful side. <laughs> or, how about this? How about this? Hear me out. We do a musical number where everyone sings Rock Me Sexy Jesus. <laughs> Bam. Second Hamlet 2 reference since Miss Kobayashi. Oh, yeah. That'd work. Don't even know why I referenced it then there, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> why is that something you feel the need to reference? I don't know. <laughs> I just remembered it existed. It'd be like me referencing Disaster Movie. Like, it would make no fucking sense. <laughs> <laughs> but you do you, bud. <laughs> Later that night, everyone gets ready to turn in, but not before a quick dip in the bath. And, you know, it's one of those uh, Japanese public baths, so you, Toko, and Saika have to share. And you and Toko almost have, like, this game of chicken where, like, they're trying to hold themselves back from feeling nervous about this, saying, like, okay, yep, you know, just get in a tub naked together. It's all cool, you know? Not it's like a Wild West quick draw. Who's going to see each other? Who's going to see the other naked first? Yeah, and, like, you quickly unchanges and just, like, immediately heads into the, into the uh, bath before Toko can get a look at her. <laughs> and then, like, uh, in the bath, Toko notice, notices that you is a bit more blessed than she is, shall we say, but tries to not think about it. Think on sexy thoughts, think on sexy thoughts, think on th sexy thoughts. <laughs> I guess it was it was that one thing they were going to have to address at some point, I guess. Yeah, however briefly. Though a great line read by uh, Lucy Christian in the scene where, like, after Toko gets another look at you, she just goes, Study camps are... the best. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, the gang will now be getting some help with rehearsals from a friend of Miss Hakozaki's. He's a member of her theater troupe, and his name is Tomoyuki Ichigaya, played here by Blake Shepard. I've directed three plays in my career, and I've had three heart attacks. That's how much I care, and I'm planning for a fourth. <laughs> yeah, that's... I don't know, that would give him a little more personality here, because, like, honestly, they don't do a whole lot with him other than just bring him in to work on the play. Yeah, but he's kind of here to, like, forward a bit, like, uh, with uh, Toka, as we see later on. 
Yeah, he does forward things just a little bit. Yeah, as we find out here that he actually knew Toko from when she was younger as he was a former classmate of her sister's. And things get a bit more interesting as when Ichigaya comments on, on how hard Toko is working, he says that he always thought the student council president took it easy, let others handle mo most of the work. Which is odd because the only other president he knew was Mio. Toko asks him about this and wants to know what Mio was like as president. And it turns out she created a lot of problems and had other members do the work while she did speeches and took all the credit. She wasn't much of a model student as Ichigaya recounts a story about how they had to let her copy their homework from time to time. Uh, <laughs> so, Mio wasn't the perfect person Toko thought she was as she was just putting on a front just for her younger sister. <laughs> Kill your heroes. <laughs> mm. I'd say never meet your heroes, but like she lived with her. So yeah, she, she lived with her. her, so she kind of had to. <laughs> In one fell swoop, Toko's perception of her sister just went... Well, time to wear a leather jacket and go rebel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stay up past my bedtime. You can't stop me. <laughs> I'm going to eat late, Mom. You can't tell me what to do. going to hang out by the mall and loiter. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though, she this has got to mess with Toko a lot because she had this perception of her sister for, like, years, like, seven years ever since she died. And, like, now all that is gone and on top of all the problems, she has enough already. And now on to the penultimate episode as we're on the home stretch here with episode 12, Suddenly Suffocating. Now before we get to that, there was one point I actually forgot to bring up here. And it was just one small, insignificant, funny little thing I found. And it was uh, what I hope to be the first of a series that I hope to do for this podcast. Where I uh, pinpoint uh, the amazing product, pl uh, generic product placement <laughs> that is in the series. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and that is my my amazing uh, chronicling of generic McDonald's chains <laughs> in anime. Because if there's one thing I love to see, I love to see Japan try to get around copyright yes. by putting in like the stupidest, <laughs> funniest. Renamings of the, of the popular American fast food chain to try and get around censors, just so that they can have a regular fast food place for characters to go to, and it's never any other restaurant chain, never anyone. It's never KFC. It's never Burger King. It's never fucking Wendy's. It's it's none of those. It's always McDonald's. They always do it with just McDonald's. And I want to highlight a beautiful one here. <laughs> a really beautiful one that they encounter in episode 8. And that it, it went by the amazing name of Yeed Donalds. Yeed Donalds. <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Apostrophe D-O-N-A-L-D-S. Yeed Donalds. <laughs> oh, and I, if I remember, even better is that uh, they obscure it. They have, like, lampposts covering up the Y, but you can clearly still see the Y. Like, Yid Donalds. Yid Donalds. But it's like... It's like it sounds almost like yeet, you know? Ye like, like you Donalds. Like, you just yeet your fucking burger into your mouth. Hey, man, that's how the cashiers, like, serve your food. They just yeet it in your face. Yeet it into your fucking face. You get thrown <laughs> fucking Vanitas through, like, a bunch of doors in Monsters, Inc. world. What's so further for me, though, was the logo... <laughs> Where, like, it's like an M, but, like, they don't, like, they don't, the, the, the dip isn't down in there. They have, an, again, like, another, like, arch. So it's, like, three arches all in together. And I swear to God, it looks like a fucking middle finger. <laughs> like, welcome to Yee Donald's. Yee this in your fucking mouth. 
that's the animators going like, fuck you, we're getting past your copyright. Like, fuck you, McDonald's, you never sponsor any anime. <laughs> <laughs> Had to take a fucking commercial to, like, sell to, like, like, like Kikamori teenagers just to get people into your fucking restaurants. I've seen other anime get sponsored by frickin' Hardee's and Carl's Juniors. Why can't you be like them? I know, right? So here's, here's, so yeah, here's our arch to you right here. <laughs> One over one billion fucked off. <laughs> Ye Donalds, Donalds, the the first in my series. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you, thank you. I actually improved all that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Oh, thank you. But anyway, yes, on to episode twelve. Suddenly suffocating. So Toko is really starting to fear the inner turmoil based on what Ichigaya said about Mio, but she's trying to keep it together for now so she and the others can get through the play. That being said, it's at least affecting her acting for the better as during a rehearsal she starts to let out her inner feelings while playing her character, so hey, indirect method acting here. Though, Yu is starting to feel a little worried about her, but uh, Saika's all like, don't worry about it. <laughs> and just blow it off a little bit, you it's know, fine. You know, Toko's got this, she'll be fine, trust me, like I trust her. After some more rehearsals and actually getting to see some of the play, the summer training camp has come to a close. But what doesn't come to a close is Yu's growing concern for Toko. Yu invites Toko to walk home together and then invites her over to her place. She knows she's going through a lot, and I mean a lot. She just wants to do something, anything for her. And also to get her to open up some more, and that only really happens when these two are alone together. The only time Toko's really comfortable about herself is when she's around Yu, and later when they're hanging out in Yu's room, she gets even more comfortable by resting on her lap. Cute bit here where Yu comments that uh, this isn't what she was expecting when uh, Toko said she wasn't going to be, be able to hold back. And then Toko says, then what were you expecting, you perv? Woo! Well, we have these popsicles here, so I figured we'd use our imaginations. <laughs> <laughs> Toko does go in for a kiss, and unlike previous kisses, Yu doesn't show any hesitation. She fully reciprocates. I like how you hear, all you hear in this scene is just ambient sound of the outside, just and the fan inside Yu's room, you know. The previous scenes tend to make it big and grand in a way, but uh, this one keeps it simple and lets it speak for itself. There's a beauty and simplicity here. Mm, there is a bit. Then the two lay together in Yu's bed, and Toko tells Yu all about what Ichigaya said. She asks what should she do, and Yu asks her if she really has to do this and try to become someone else. And then Toko tells her that it's what she needs to do because she just hates herself, just comes out and says that I hate myself. I don't want to be me. I want to be someone else. Uh, and uh, that's really, really rough. I had her whole world come crashing down before, so yeah. Yeah. It's warranted. And in a moment that's actually really heartbreaking here, Toko says to you that she shouldn't fall in love with her because she hates herself and that she doesn't like people who like the things she hates. You know, just trying to push her away there, and it's honestly really, really sad. No, she still loves you, but she just wants her relationship to be completely one-sided. And there's a method to her madness here as it just plays into her anxieties and self-deprecation and she probably believes that because she hates herself then, like, maybe, like, if you starts to like her, then maybe she'll just end up hating her as well and then she'll lose her forever. Bad strategy. It's just gonna make you love her more. Yeah. <laughs> you, all you, didn't think about, you didn't think about this, did you, Toka? <laughs> but in all that, it is complicated, but also, like, very realistic. Like, I can honestly see someone, like, in a relationship or, like, wanting to be in a relationship with someone honestly thinking that. Yu doesn't want to heed Toko's words, and she feels upset that Toko would hate all the things she likes about her. And uh, while watching the scene, it kind of reminds me of a similar scene in a certain other series that uh, you and I will cover later on somewhere 
down the line in the future. All right. Won't say what it is, but uh, think of this as a little hint. Yu wants to help Toko and get her to like herself, and the best way she could do it is to change the ending of the play. She goes to Kiyomi to talk about it, and then rather have the main character become the person she feels she has to be, she should choose what kind of person she should be based on how she feels in the moment. Don't use the standards set by her past self and just be who she is now. Kiyomi gladly accepts this new ending as it's just been a stickler for a long time and she's just like, finally, something I can really work with. Yeah. <laughs> and then she and you work together to complete the new ending. And speaking of endings, we're reaching the end of, of this series with episode 13, The Last Stop and Lighthouse. So let's slap a bow on this puppy as we come to the finale. You and Kiyomi work on the rewrite and with the added changes, Yu is going to have to learn a bunch of new lines as her character, the nurse, is going to have to play a bigger role now in this new ending. Hmm, okay, so a bit of rewriting got to do here. Yep. Meanwhile, Toko and Saika sit and chat at the cafe, and Saika brings up Mio and wants to know more about her. Toko says what she knew about her likely isn't the person she actually was, but then Saika makes a point and says that isn't entirely true. The kind of person she saw through her eyes is just another part of the bigger picture, and this is definitely giving Toko a lot more to ponder upon. Hearing this can show that uh, Toko wasn't entirely wrong about her sister, you know. What you saw was just another aspect of her, and then, like, what Ichigaya saw is just another aspect of her as well. It's all part of a big, big picture. Like a big puzzle you gotta piece together for your sister. Yeah, you know, it's not like people's personalities aren't very cut and dry. Yeah, you, you, there's so many different uh, sides to many people out there that you're that you can... Learn as much as you can from multiple different people, but many of them might have a different perspective and might create an entirely different person, you know? Yeah, but then that perspective can just, like, add to, like, the, the bigger picture. It's like there could be multiple yous out there in other people's heads. Yeah. It's very metaphysical like that. Yeah. It causes a lot of anxiety for a person. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's why I don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> this series made me think about it, and now I don't want to think about it anymore. <laughs> they part ways, and then it all starts to sink in for her as play is coming up and soon after that's done what is she going to do what's next what is your decision doko she starts to think about you and wants to see her right now and right as she's about to text her she gets a message from you asking if she wants to go somewhere together and she gets that and right as she gets that she like press send on another message she wanted to send her first and it just says i want to see you and we get a little indicator that uh you read that and like agrees that they want to see each other and so the following day we get to see you and toko's aquarium date and it's all incredibly cute, and I know I sound like a broken record, but god damn it, you and Toko are just so freaking cute together. And this is, and watching the scene has kind of made me realize that, man, aquariums are a really good spot to, like, bring uh, that special someone out on a date with. And, like, with that in mind, it's just like, man, I haven't been to, like, Sea Life at the Mall of America in a while, it's just, like, making make me itch to go back there. Uh, I think I've been down there a little while ago with a couple of friends, I believe, so yeah, they've, the fish are still quite pretty down there. Need to keep that in mind. I don't know, I'd still, I'd personally like to see another aquarium because it's, like, within walking distance for me, practically. <laughs> I'm just so tired of it. <laughs> I wouldn't mind going out to see the uh, Chicago Aquarium. No, that was gorgeous. That was awesome. Midway through the day, the two get some downtime, and you suggest that they get a little quick rehearsal time in. Hey, Toko? What's up? Since we've got time, how about the two of us practice for the show? What, right here? I'm coming in! Oh, you're awake! Hold on! I'll go get the doctor right now. <laughs> hey, don't worry. There's nobody around. <laughs> I can't remember anything. Not who I am or anything else for that matter. Are you okay? Nurse, I'm just... I'm afraid. I'm afraid of... 
not knowing who I really am. What kind of person was I before all this? I don't know. No. Wait, was that your line? It's improv. Just go with it. Kuyomi told me that she wanted to try revising the script a bit. So I figured maybe we could improvise some ideas. I don't know. Uh, that doesn't help me. Then what should I do? Well, let's see. Maybe you could talk to your visitors and ask them to tell you about the person you used to be. Ask them about myself? Although, you might hear very different things about yourself from each of them. You might feel like you have to pick one incarnation of yourself from multiple versions of you that exist in other people's head. If that happens, how should I choose? Is there really a need for you to make that choice? Huh? Personally, I don't know anything about you beyond these walls. But I've picked up on your habits. Your favorite novels and even what color of flowers you like. The only you I know is this one. But I have to choose some version of myself to be. Because I have no memories. And I don't have anything else to define me. Right now, I'm no one. Are you sure? Yes. So I want to talk about this scene here because uh, this was actually an anime-only edition here as this wasn't hmm. in the manga. Oh, okay, so... Yep. yep, in the manga, when it comes to, like, uh, you and Koyomi writing the ending, uh, they just end up uh, writing it together no problem and then they present it to the uh, entire student council for them to decide upon it. Mm, okay. So, but here, like, in the anime, we get, we get the scene where Yu gets an idea on how to uh, come up with the ending because they still haven't uh, gotten the ending yet just yet. So she does this little improv session with Toko, and it's really good to kind of get an idea on, like, how to do the ending, you know, get their conversation down about, like, you know, what kind of person you want to be. Oh, okay. And I think I feel the reason they did add the scene is because, uh, I'll just say this now, uh, since this is the last episode, uh, we won't be getting to the play during this run of the series, so they decided to give this a little extra scene as a small preview to the play and uh, give us a little taste of you and Toko's scene. Yeah, that's what made this whole finale a little unsatisfying for me, if I'm being honest. I was like, wait, where, what about the play? Aren't we going to get to the play? Is this going to be an OVA or something? Or is there a second season coming? Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Otherwise, we're going to be really left hanging after all these years. And so, you and Toko's time at the aquarium, along with Blooming to You, has come to a close. And for now, anyway, because, like, you know, the anime ends off here, but the manga is still going on. Though, as I mentioned before, during this recording, that uh, the final chapter of the manga should be coming up any day now. Okay, by the time this okay. goes up. And I will say, this is an interesting place to end it, and a lot of people who have read the manga before this 
also comment that uh, this is a very like uh, interesting way, but uh, they do they do like the uh, extra scene, and I did like the extra scene too. And it also kind of seems like the producers in the studio behind this anime are kind of like saying, "Okay, we won't get to it now, but but we may get into it in another season, you know." But uh, rather than rush to the stage show, we just want to keep everything as close to the manga as possible, you know, but still give you that little taste and us pick it up when the time is right. Yeah, I would say it does at least have some. It does at least have some good closure for the two main characters, at least. <laughs> yeah, which like, is like they both con- like by the end they've both come to a bit of an understanding. Yeah, which is the point in the series. Like we're really focused more on uh, you and Toko, right? And also with this ending, it does leave on a bit of a. I would say it leaves on more of a very hopeful note for the two characters, as you has definitely come to terms with her true feelings. Like while she hasn't outright said she loves Toko, like. She clearly is in love with Toko. Mm-hmm, yeah. And Toko is starting to think more about her decision and just, like, you know, she's starting to question, like, do I want to be my sister? Do I want to be me? What is the right choice? Like, there's still something here that kind of worked. But, you know, only time will tell. But seriously, season two now, please. <laughs> yes, please. I want to see that play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't let all that work go to waste. But there is the manga. Volume 5, I think, is, like, the best place to pick up if you want to at least learn more about the story if you just follow the anime. Oh, okay, so good advice. And so, we come to a close with Bloom Into You. Final thoughts. Oh, final thoughts on Bloom Into You. <laughs> I think this is where I have to disappoint you a little bit and say that, like, um, I just thought it was... Uh, I just thought it was okay. I thought it was, I thought it was fine. It is perfectly good. It is perfectly, decently good. I think anybody who watches this who regularly likes uh, romance or Yuri or even maybe wants something uh, a little more different, maybe wants a little bit more, will find uh, this to be a perfectly acceptable uh, series, a perfectly acceptable romance between two characters where everything is well-written, everything is relatively well-rounded, it was, aside from the few plot things near the end of the season, like in the final episode, like we just mentioned. I don't know. It's It's... I, I I can't help but like approach it from the perspective of like wanting so much more, wanting so much more that like delves deeper into this um, community in Japan that uh, does not get enough uh, coverage or media representation. So again, coming from the perspective of somebody who has been completely spoiled by another work that right. does address all of that. Right, you're you're totally spoiled. <laughs> coming from the perspective of uh, somebody who has seen much more media over here in the U.S. that covers that subject on a regular basis, you know. I, I, I guess by the end of it, I have to say, uh, I'm, a, I'm a spoiled American. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> this is America. This is America. <laughs> but no, it's it's fine. It's fine. I, but, like, I hate that, I, that by the end, all I can say is that it's just good. That, like, by the end, that is all my mind comes to is that it is good it is fine but for me personally it doesn't really go any further than that it it delves into something just so much more personal for me of like wanting just more of just wanting to see something done more in the world but no i think a regular anime watcher uh will like this though but uh if anybody, if bunny, if but I will say, if anybody out there fe- uh, has the opinion, has the feeling by the end that they want it more, I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you right now, uh, you're not alone. 
hey, fair play, man. Like, we don't always have to agree on everything. As much as we agree with each other on this podcast or most of our series, like, we don't always have to. No, honestly, I would say this is probably, I would say this, I think, I think I'm correct in assuming that this is the most we've ever uh, differed on an anime. Definitely. Which I'm, I'm happy to say. Like, I, I, I think it would be very boring if we agreed on everything. Yeah. Uh, also, in retrospect, because I remember back when we did our Toonami panel, you kind of, like, uh, changed your opinion a bit on the Fully Cooly sequel and prequel. Well, okay, yeah, like, outside of the outside. podcast, if I'm being totally honest, my opinions on Fully Cooly uh, did kind of flip. But um, I feel like that's maybe a conversation for another day, because I could go really in-depth in that, and that does not pertain to the anime right now mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're talking about. But yeah, no, like, it's, it's good that we can have, like, this differing uh, of opinions here, because, spoiler alert, I love this show. Yeah, like, like I had any doubt in my mind that you love the show. Yeah, like, and also just the, you know, if you out there want to hear more about us kind of uh, having differing opinions on some certain anime, uh, don't you worry, because I have a feeling that uh, certain episodes I have planned for somewhere down the line, we're definitely going to be buttonheads a bit. Oh, yeah, the, 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 those days are coming. Those days are coming, and it's going to be a blast, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm totally looking forward to that. Us just butting heads in, in, a, in a single podcast. It'll definitely make for some good stuff. I'm going to love it. Yeah, but no, like, yeah, I love this because, like, back in January, I said this was my favorite anime of 2018 over shows like Zombieland Saga, Gridman, A Place Further Than the Universe, friggin' Dragon Pilot, and others, and several months later, I still stand by that. Like, Bloomin' to You is my favorite anime of 2018, and the reason because of that is that you know, in a year that had, like, a load of great anime, the great year that it was, 2018, this honestly stood out the most to me, and it stood out because of how simple and down-to-earth it really was. Like I said before, with, like, one of the earlier scenes, there's beauty and simplicity, and I feel that this is a series that is simple yet effective for me, and it just really stood out because of that. While it may seem slow and dry to some, I loved it for how it took its time. It didn't rush. We all know that these two are gonna hook up in the end. It's a Yuri series. What do you expect? But, uh, you know, they're just no rush. Sit back, just watch it, and just let it let it happen. Yeah, and likewise for me, it's it's that perspective of, like, it's a Yuri series, what did you expect? I feel like I... I feel like that's an ideal I just kind of can't accept. Like, that's just kind of... I just kind of want more out of it. But, uh, again, that's... Your opinion is uh, just as uh, valid. Yeah, and also, like, with the story they wanted to tell here, it's, like, not only just just the love between two girls, but also, like, uh... A show that showcases a different kind of love. A Correct. story about learning to love and accept yourself. This is a journey of self-discovery and come to terms with who you are. And it's also very real in, in that sense. Because, you know, I would love to see more romances honestly tackle this kind of idea of how you need to learn to love yourself before you can learn to love another person. And that's something that really isn't easy for some, but, you know, it's something that can definitely make you a better person. Right. Like, that's something I want to see more out of, like, romance, anime in general, covering that angle. And I just want to see more uh, LGBTQ people flaunting their sexuality in front of authority <laughs> figures in oh, Japan. Definitely more. <laughs> also another thing, uh, coming to terms with your own sexuality, and this is another real aspect of the show, because, in fact, too real is all honesty. When I was looking at you questioning her own sexuality, it kind of felt a little tad similar to how I felt before I realized I was bi. Oh, there, there like, it is. Like, years and years ago, I never thought I'd be attracted to guys as well as girls, too. And then, like, oftentimes when I did feel attracted to another guy, I would just make an excuse, like you does in this series, going like, oh, it's just normal, anyone would feel that. You know, I look at Finn Balor and think like, oh, anyone would find him hot. You know, it's just who he is. You know, given that bi-visibility just happened recently, yeah. I could actually understand that even more, wanting to uh, do that for the podcast, too. Yeah. You know, she could, this whole journey you goes through is kind of 
hits close to home in a way, like, while watching this, I'm going like, oh god, that's almost like me in a way. Ah, uh, I, like I can understand better. And also, like, you know, while it wasn't the best, you know, the show, at least trying to show off, you know, other aspects of, like, sexuality, like showing asexual and aromatic people like Maki here, you know, at least trying to do it. I give a C in that regard. <laughs> and also, I do appreciate another thing about, like, showing, uh... At least showing the idea of a healthy lesbian relationship between two adults with, like, Miyako and Miss Hakuzaki here. Showing that, yes, this is this is the normal here. Like, two adult women can be together in a normal relationship. Right, that, that was at least nice that it was peppered in. And also, thank you, Bloomin' to you, for calling out that bullshit stereotype, that whole it's just a phase thing. Like, it, we all know it's garbage, and thank you for calling it out. Yeah, you did good there. I love the relationship between you and Toko. They're so goddamn cute together. And also, it's just like... You don't just want to see them get together because they just make a cute couple and shit, but, like, you want to see them get together because they need each other. It's just, like, life would be hell for the both of them if they didn't have each other, and the series really, really gets that over. They really do help and heal each other. And also on the technical side of things, I would say, while the studio is probably, like, fairly wet behind the ears when it comes to animation and direction, I would say this is pretty well done, at least compared to, like, a lot of the other, uh, you know, romance anime out on the block there, especially a lot of the other Yuri anime on there. I brought up Citrus, and yeah, that's that's not great, and, like, I'm glad that this show like this is, like, at least well done on the technical side of things. Uh, again, perfectly fine. It looks absolutely okay. Like, nothing too spectacular in its, like, visuals, except for, like, those two moments we singled out for me. Yeah, this is quite possibly one of the best dubs uh, Sentai Filmworks has produced in a while, and this is the company that's been on kind of the upswing within the last, like, what, six, seven years or so. Oh, yeah, the dub was quite well produced. You know, it's like, I'm happy to see them really succeed and join the ranks of, like, you know, the the good dubs that are produced by, like, Funimation and Bang Zoom and stuff, you know. After years of freaking Stephen Foster ruining most of the dubs that Sentai Filmworks has uh, put out, I still get nightmares of that Kids on the Slope dub. Don't worry, dark times are behind us. But, you know, thank you, David Walden, Marissa Lenti, for your uh, adaptation. Yes, yes, keep doing good things. Mainly you, David Wald, with that glorious uh, voice of yours. That glorious, glorious man voice of yours. Oh, yes, please narrate something again. And also, can of coke to... Lucy Christian, and especially Tia Ballard. For oh yeah, they, dulled, but they dulled, both did a fantastic job with these two characters. Like, this is the show that made me start doing the whole hashtag year Tia thing, because, like, this was kind of bookending the year that was 2018, because at the beginning of the year, she was in a show that I really loved, that she played the lead in, and now she closed out the 2018 with the show that I really loved in, so that's why I do year Tia. Aw, how nice. And I'm sure, she, I'm sure Tia thanks you for that. I sure hope she does. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to our Bloom Into You episode. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias at Mikey Shota on Twitter, MikeyShota.tumblr.com, and Mikey Shota on Instagram. And where can we find you, Ryan? You can find me at WolfishGrin on Twitter and WolfishGrin on Tumblr. Follow the show's Twitter at Anime underscore Bebe. That's Anime underscore B-A-Y, B-A-Y. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send them to AnimeBebePod at gmail.com. That's AnimeBebe, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Thanks once again for listening, and our next episode will be a big milestone as it'll mark the podcast's one-year anniversary. Oh, hell yeah. And what are we looking for next mo- looking at next month? And it's going to be our first super spooky, scary Halloween-themed episode coming in the month of October. Ooh, my favorite month. What will we be talking about? Well, this month we talked about an anime that I say is my favorite of 2018. Why not next month for this big, momentous occasion... 
talk about an anime that I say is a top contender for my favorite anime of 2019. I am talking, of course, about The Promised Neverland. Ooh, strong stuff. That, that's been one of my favorites of this year as well. Oh, hell yeah. And when we talk about it, it's going to be a scary good time. Ooh, yes. Thanks again for listening. And this has been Anime Baby! Yeah. Wait, there are lesbians in this show? Oh wow, he clearly didn't read it.